Welcome to the Music Relish Podcast with Perry, Lou, and Mark. Tonight, we'll be discussing Turn of a Friendly Card by Alan Parsons Project. We'll have an update on the Rolling Stones mobile and other random relish. Let's get to the show. Well, okay. What's happening, guys? Good evening. Good How evening. How you doing? Happy Sunday, July 17th. Happy Sunday. Yeah, this is uh, Season 2, Episode 4. Wow. Right, yeah. We're having more episodes than all in the family. Yep. Now, counting the first version, um, Music Relish Podcast Version 1, how many episodes? First 30 episodes. 30. Was it, was it 30 or 31? And then we it went to... It was 30. Okay, so this is actually 34 total episodes. Mm-hmm. We're not a new show. We got picked up for a second season. But we had, we, to, go, we, we had got, to go to the three-camera technique or else they weren't going to pick us we, up. We, we, we got re-upped. Desi Arnaz came up with the three-camera technique, by the way, if yeah. you did not know that. I'm, I'm going to break the fourth wall right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, All uh, right. So, Mark, I understand you went to see a show Yeah, last night. Uh, was it a dead set? I went Friday night. I saw Dead and Company, who I've said many times i really like because they have john mayer so i'm at city field in queens or as you say shea stadium and uh great show seeing a jazz band i call them a jazz band play in a baseball stadium with sixty thousand people there it's a great time four hours and 20 minutes perry and they only did about 15 songs in that time you're (laughs) kidding that's boy that's the dead man isn't that the thing like a dead set was uh yeah four hours and well that includes intermission how much money if you don't mind me asking four hours 50 bucks well yeah not bad uh handed to them that they have not put out an album of original material since Mm -hmm. there's been no dead album since the last dead album and they can still pack baseball stadiums when they tour, and they sell. They don't sell out, but they pack them, and then they sell out arenas. So well, to them, they're doing good. But out of yeah. four hours and twenty minutes, you get three hours and fifteen minutes of John Mayer just soloing, which I love. And he's even gotten better every year that I see Dead and Company. John Mayer gets a new style of guitar playing, and this year mm. was wow. He's he's a virtuoso. He always has been. Great, I had is, a great time. Great show. Who else is in the band? Is it, is it mostly the remaining dead members and then it's uh, Bob Weir. It's Bob Weir, Mickey Hart, and Bill Kreutzman. And okay. uh, Lou, you would appreciate this. Bill Kreutzman, he's been out for a bunch of shows. He's got a really yeah. bad back. So last night he came back and played. Every time they showed him on the big screens, the place went nuts. So you got to love that a whole stadium was going nuts for a drummer. Nice. Um, nice. Great to see him back. And uh, they got this bass player, Otel, and I don't know his last name. Shoot me now. He used to play with the Allman Brothers, so if you've seen any videos of the Almonds, he's a he's a virtuoso of a bass player. Mm. And the keyboard player, I don't know his name. See, I'm not a real deadhead, so I don't know all these names, but he's fantastic. He's just great. They gel. They're really good. And Bob Weir, with his mustache and white hair, is the coolest of the cool. He's doing great. 80, he's pushing Did they 80. have two drummers? Did they have two drummers, or is it just Kreutzmann? It's Bill Kreutzmann and Mickey, Mickey Hart. Hart. Yeah. Oh, they're both drummers. Oh. The original yeah. drummers. Yeah. Wow. Now, uh, so, Bill Kurtzman's more of the, uh, he's like what Butch Trucks was to the Almonds. He's kind of the beat guy. Mickey Hart's more of the percussive, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, more of yeah. the round, the percussive kid. Bill Kurtzman kind of the backbeat type of guy like Butch mm-hmm, Trucks was. Exactly. Okay. 
Bill Kurtzman's a very actually jazzy drummer in some ways. And then, you know, when they go to their big, long drum solo, which, Perry, you could do a whole shopping trip in the time of their drum solo, um, it's uh, it's really Mickey Hart, and yeah. Bill Kurtzman follows him, but he's not doing the drum solo. Otel, the bass player, actually comes up and plays drums with them. So if Bill Kurtzman Ooh. was doing it, he'd have three drummers. Really good stuff. I had a great time. It was one of the best shows just for sitting back and appreciating the music, not worried about the time. I wasn't looking at my watch. show ended about 12 o'clock. It was great. Great show. But I won't advise it to anybody because most people would be bored. <laughs> did Did you go with the other family or did you go by yourself? Went with my son-in-law, Takana. He, um, oh, that's, he that's loves right, the right. dead. Yeah. Yeah. And he's taught me some stuff. The guy's, he's 29 years old and he's t- teaching me about the dead stuff I didn't know. So he knows his stuff. Hmm. And he's English? Wow. Yeah, he grew up in England. Yeah. And I love talking music with him because when you talk music with someone that grew up in England, it's a whole different view of music than we have. I love talking to him about English bands, you know, and Hmm. he saw them in a different way than we did. And he's also younger than us, but he likes all the bands we like. Big Deep Purple guy. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And for a young guy, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. We've We've been talking a lot about the purple. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you, um, have you, you know Al Stewart, right? He has a new box set out. A new box yeah. set of Al Stewart. Hmm. 50 CDs. You heard me correctly. Five zero. 50 CDs in the new box set of Al Stewart. Wow. Wow. Twenty. It has all 20 of his studio albums. And I guess they throw in some live stuff and some other maybe unreleased stuff or whatever, but 50 CDs. Wow. Well, you know, he and he ties into the Alan Parsons theme because Alan Parsons produced You're the Cat, his breakthrough album. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so, Mark, no, sorry, Luke, go ahead. And he's, um, I saw actually funny because he mentions because we got the little coincidental thing happening again. I saw a video. I watched a video of Al Stewart today from the Royal Albert Hall, where he did the whole Year of the Cat album, and he oh, discusses. Wow. Yeah, he discusses how it began. Was the piano player? I don't know his name. Would just do this during sound checks. And he's like, wow. so Al Stewart goes, "I'm, I'm going to use that. I need to use that." So the guy goes, "Well, write some lyrics to it." So Al Stewart actually, I don't know how long it took him to write it, but he wrote the lyrics to Year of the Cat, inspired by that piano, really beautiful piano in time. Um, and uh, no, I'm sure, but but he yeah, yeah. watched you know the the video of the piano player. It's amazing how you know in 2015 the, it's a it's a small keyboard with this amazing piano sound, and then he got the the strings on the same keyboard. Um, but it, it was yeah, great. There's yeah. like three guitar players, but Al Stewart. I mean, he sounded great. Um, but what a great uh, great lyric writer, really. And uh, that song's a good example of how Alan Parsons was a director engineer because the mm. saxophone was on there because of Al pa- Alan Parsons. So That's it would have right. been a wholly different song if Alan Parsons hadn't engineered or produced it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, you wanted to, uh, you asked us to listen to the Alan Parsons Project, uh, their turn of a friendly card. Is that the name of the record? Yep. That's a new thing. I thought each week, each one of us could recommend an album to the other two and listen to it and give your honest opinion. So, well, you should start then. What is it about the record that you thought that, um, it's funny, a great record for novices to listen to? Well, for me, it was the first album I bought. I bought it at Music Merchant, five ninety nine. Had the yellow sticker, 
And I brought it home and I hated it when I first heard it because everyone told me they were a progressive band. And I, you listen to it and it's the drums don't sound like Carl Palmer. Uh, it's got kind of pop music on it. So I shelved it for years and then I pulled it back yeah. out and listened to it. And let's get the progressive tag out of the window because that kind of ruins it. It's got strings and keyboards, which to me was really cool because usually an album will have all keyboards or strings. That's what I like about Alan Parsons is he melds everything. He brings the whole kitchen sink to do an album. Mm -hmm. um, so on that album, I it was a tough one to say like either that or Eye in the Sky. Eye in the Sky is a masterpiece as well. But I think Turn of a Friendly Card to me is my favorite Alan Parsons album. Uh, Time is on it. Time's a sounds like a Pink Floyd song to me. It really uh, does. Well, 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 well hold, hold on. So let's can we go track know, by so, track maybe or just kind of yeah? Do you want to go, Lou? Well, I, I made some, you know, I, I made some notes on because I, I did listen to it like maybe three times, Mark, and it's really good. It's a really good album. Uh, the recording is is just flawless. It is so warm. It's very lush. Like you said, there's a lot yeah. of piano and strings. I'm not, you know, now mm -hmm. Alan Parsons. I, I find it too, he he could sing, but he didn't really hardly sing at all on on the Alan Parsons project. But there's one song I think it's Time where he sings backups, but his vo his voice was hardly ever used apparently. But right. Time was sung by Eric Wolfson, the other part of the Alan Parsons project. It's a beautiful vocal. Um, yeah. But it's, it's very Pink Floyd-like in that way. But, I mean, Alan Parsons has claimed to be able to do that, being how he was the engineer on Dark Side of the Moon. And he declined to um, engineer Wish You Were Here in favor of starting the Alan Parsons project, correct? Right, right. I, exactly. I think you offered, but, um, but, you know, the first one is... Uh, can I add... Yeah. Sorry, sure. can I add something to that song, Time? I... I felt the pink floyd floyd-esque sort of thing mid, too. mid tempo I, I also hear the beach boys in there yeah yeah i also hear the beach boys yep. yeah yeah in, in my reading there's i a enjoyed beach, it there's a beach boys mentioned about one of the singers because there's three singers on it right um the one yeah. who's got it goes by the name of elmer gantry was that wasn't that burt reynolds oh no burt reynolds. was that burt lancaster <laughs> Yes. Well, <laughs> so I, I don't know his real name, but but he sang the song with maybe a price to pay. That, that's the first track. Um, to me, it's actually it's, Elmer it Gantry is Dave Terry. Do you know who Dave okay. Terry is? Yeah, and that sounds familiar. But I'm give me a little uh, little clue. Um, now keep moving on because I'm not sure. I don't have enough okay. facts in front. Um, of me. But when I listen to it, I mean, I call it straight prog because it's proggy. But like you said, the drums are very straight ahead. Um, but it's symphonic. I, it's definitely symphonic rock. It's Prague-ish, but I mean, some of the stuff actually has kind of funky, I'd call it almost late 70s dance beats. You know, there, there's a pulse, there's a, there's mm -hmm. a, a bass pulse. But um, having known them only for the hits, I've never listened to an Alan Parsons record, but it's really good. I mean, I, I'm very impressed. I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, so who are the three singers on there? Are, um, El Elmer Gantry, so there's Burt Lancaster, um, Larry <laughs> Zazatek, and um, Chris Rainbow, right? Chris Rainbow, yeah, exactly. Okay. And yeah. um, Chris Rainbow appeared on quite a few uh, Alan Parsons albums. Beautiful voice. Um, he had a beautiful voice. Yeah. Interestingly, <laughs> Eric Eric Wolfson was the record company was pushing Alan to use Eric on their earlier albums, but he's not on their mm -hmm. earlier albums. Uh, mm -hmm. Alan Parsons wanted more traditionally, kind of like um, perfect singers, kind of like a you know like what we have now with these singing shows. He just wanted technically mm -hmm. okay. proficient singers. And Eric Wilson wasn't that. He more like a David Gilmore. Really reminds me of David Gilmore. Huh. Yeah. I think uh, the big song people know in that was the second song, Games People Play. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's Larry's Zazatek. Zazatek. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, th- that, that was a radio hit. It was uh, number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100. I remember and, uh, WPLJ played it so much when it came oh, yeah. out. Yeah, that's the one that go, where do we go from here? Yeah. Is that the now one? That all of the children have grown up. Yep. Yeah, when my son was young, he thought he was singing Michael Bublé in the middle of the night. And I was like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> Michael Bublé. <laughs> uh, it was used in Grand Theft Auto, one of the Grand Theft Auto videos. That's how my son knew it. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I Who remember um, when Chris Rainbow died. He died young. I think he had, um, what happened. He was like in his 40s, I thought. But Brian yeah. Wilson, you know, well, apparently you mentioned there's a Beach Boys influence. Brian Wilson wrote a really nice tribute to the singer Chris Rainbow when he passed away. Really? So I don't know if Chris Rainbow did any Brian Wilson tributes. I'm sure he did. I didn't see that. But the fact that you know, we mentioned they sound kind of Beach Boys-like, and the Beach Boy himself actually wrote a very touching tribute. Yeah. And he always ends it with, um, Brian Wilson ends a lot of his things with, Love and Mercy, Brian Wilson. From that, that, that was his, his comeback album. Yeah. And one of his comeback singles. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, but uh, time, time was time was another big hit. I that mean, was, was yeah. A couple, of, yeah, yeah. And that's that, that's the song I remember. But um, yeah, Pink Floyd, The Beach Boys. <clears throat> but uh, I don't want to go home was another one. I mean, there's some standout tracks. I like the turn of a friendly card. That, that track itself, which I was sung yeah. by Chris Rainbow, the guy we're talking about. Um, yep. it's really it's beautiful. It's it's very stately, um, amazing. Like. I don't know what they actually. I think they recorded at Abbey Road. No, it was um, actually recorded at Acousti Studio in Paris, France. Oh, so, oh in Paris. I, I did. Oh. I did read that it was recorded in France. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know who the drummer I, is? Who? I should. Uh, Stuart Elliott, who was the drummer with Al Stewart, "You're the Cat." Ah. So because Alan, mean... yeah. So that's the connection. The drums. Are, you know, the, he's a great drummer. Um, Stuart Elliott. He's also the drummer on Kate Bush's "Running Up That Hill," amongst other things. Mm, wow. So, yeah, he's got a pretty good, interesting career, too, a songwriter, too. But he's the, he's the drummer on that album. You know, the, the drums on games people play, you, just think about it. It's so steady. Like, that's he's mm-hmm. playing strong, and he never misses that beat. If you're going to play no, for Alan no. Parsons, you got to be damn good, you know? Yeah. Well, um, when You're the Cat first came out, I, I love that song to begin with. I just something about the groove on that song really, really got me, you know? Simple playing. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's not overly complicated, but mm-hmm. that feel, you know, that's what... You know, that's what drummers do. It's stately. Um, it's very English. It's stately. Just like some of the songs on this album, but oddly enough, Alan Parsons never got popular in England. He was popular in so many other countries. Could never yeah, crack the right. English music market. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But for yeah, me, like, uh, actually, um, I thought it was the first song. Canada. Really? Yeah. yeah. Canada knows. Um, uh, the first song to me, like when I rediscovered the album and played it and loved it. That first song may be a price to pay. That's a pretty heavy song. You know, it's, it's yeah. very uh, yeah. Renaissance oriented. <laughs> it's good. Right. Well, we didn't really mention it. It's a theme album about gambling. Yeah. 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 So was, um, Alan so Parsons, I guess, was, he a, was he a degenerate gambler at one point? Nah, he, he always split his albums up into themes. Like Eve was about women. Uh, and oddly enough, the first song on that album is called Lucifer. I don't know if that's a Freudian slip. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he always had some kind of a theme going for all his albums. So that's another thing I, I appreciate about him is listening back. You know, you hear how they're all connected. Yeah. So, Perry, what would you think of it? 
Well, actually, uh, uh, I listened to side one one day and I listened to side two the other day. Well, the first song I heard was um, maybe a price to pay. Yeah. I thought the drums were weak. The drums just, the way it was recorded, the drums were just kind of weak to me. And, of course, um, the second song was the big hit single, right? Yeah. Um, big hit single. And I really liked the uh, instrumental. It was called uh, Gold Bug. Am I reading my handwriting yeah. correctly? Yep. Gold Bug, it's an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I found <laughs> that very interesting. When you thought the drumming was weak, do you mean it's not very prominent or just not I meant the way it supporting? was recorded, I guess, just really? for that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, that had strings on it, so he probably had it more tame. Whereas on games people play, you got a pop single, so you want those drums yeah. way up there. I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean they were played poorly. I mean it's just the way, the format that I heard it in. Maybe it was the format I heard it in that wasn't that. But of that that song, time again, I hear Pink Floyd and Beach Boys in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And I, there's another one. I don't want to go home. Yeah. Is that is that the one? I don't want to yep. go home. <laughs> that mm -hmm. one I was like I was like, eh, okay, you know. Whatever. But uh turn of the card. I yeah. I agree with that track. That that was one track that it, it didn't grab me as much as some of the others. Yeah. It's not bad, it just but went, it just uh, I hear right, you. Yeah. 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 It was just eh, okay, whatever. That was that was <laughs> sung by Larry Larry Zazatek, the guy that's saying um games people play. Who's now, now an Anglican priest. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. He, he was he's Indian. He was born in India, I think, or Pakistan or something. Wow. But he became an Angli Anglican really? priest now. Yeah. Now, now, all these guys turn, are in their 70s now. Turn of the card. That was another one where it's like, I hear the Beach Boys in there. It's Beach Boy-esque. Mm -hmm. Is this yeah. the same singer who I was we were talking about before who's saying, uh, like, yes. he's, he brings those falsettos in. Yeah. And it's great, right? Yeah. That, that's Chris Rainbow, um, the guy that Brian Wilson gave the tribute to when he passed away. Yep. Well, turn of the card, I noticed that right away. There's another one where I thought had weak drums on it, and it was it's called uh, Snake Eyes. Hmm. And um, it reminded me of Steely Dan a little bit. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And say, you know right? There's a I, little I, wrote the, I wrote the same thing, Perry. Yeah, I did. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, We're the, on the, the same the, wavelength. The drums are not meant, I mean... I there, thought they were weak. Well, I thought still, they were weak on that track. I, but I, 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 I not, mean the way they were recorded. Okay, like just low in the mix or just not. Yeah, that's okay. what I mean. I don't. I'm not saying about how they're played. Obviously, right. You know, right. Okay. You know it's the, the Alan, when Alan Parsons engineers an album. Tinny, to me, he's. I think Mark's yeah, air conditioning. He's the director. Oh, you guys froze up for a second there. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We froze up. Okay. okay yeah. yeah, we didn't. We didn't silence Mark's uh, air conditioner, did we? Where do we go from here? Perry? Michael Bublé. Everyone is frozen. <laughs> can, you silence and, Mark, uh, can you silence Mark's air conditioner? Yeah, at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I'm so sorry, there's guys. There's another song called The Ace of Swords. Yeah. Or do you, is it Swords or yep. Swords? Swords, not Swords. No, did, didn't we write a song called Ace of Swords, Perry? <laughs> We have we have a song called Nine of Swords. Yeah, and this this is an instrumental, and I thought like when I heard the Ace of Swords, I'm like, this is movie music. It sounds really good, like it could be playing in a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you you know, in in the movies. And um, what? Go ahead. It's it's cinematic. There's a cinematic quality to the music. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it's very dreamy. Yeah. Very dreamy. I thought. 
Yeah. Um, not, I, I wish I knew what kind of keyboards. I'd like to know the equipment. Um, were there synthesizers? Was there anything more advanced? I know there was some kind of... I, I didn't forget the name of the instrument that Alan Parsons played, I think, on the title track. It's like a philarmicon or something. or It's like, <laughs> almost like a harmonium or it's like a philarmium or something, but I'm wondering what it is. Well, and the last song, the last song that I heard is called Nothing Left to Lose. And... It's got a nice melody, that a really nice melody on that song, and great background vocals. I love the way they put the background vocals on that song. Yeah. And I don't know, if somebody's playing the keyboard, it almost sounds like bagpipes on the keyboards. Mm. All the keyboards yeah. on that album are from Alan, because uh, um, Eric Wolfson played piano and harpsichord on the album, so any keyboards. And by the way, Lou, that was a proje yeah. projectron. That's yes. what he was playing. Well, I'm, I'm wondering so what, if, what, what is that exactly? What's a projectron? Well, it's the also the name of Gene Simmons' cod piece too, the projectron. So yeah. <laughs> I thought it was that probably was some intimidator. Yeah, it was probably some just keyboard that came out that they were pushing, cost absurd amounts of money, and Alan mm -hmm. said, "I want to try it." You know, we haven't heard about it since, but um, I gotta say what Perry was saying, how it's like a film score because. Alan said he wanted to be like a film director when he did these albums. He was making many mm -hmm. movies. So it's true. Every album from them reminds me of that. But this album coalesced that vision the best to me. So my overall description of the record would be easy flowing. That's yeah. the only two words I can come up with. Easy flowing. Yeah. I call it that dream, record. dreamy symphonic rock. Uh, yeah. Dreamy yeah, symphonic yep. straight prog. I call it yep. because it's proggy, but not completely. It was definitely more there's yeah. a pop. Even some of the yeah. songs, there's some funky bass playing on some of it. Um, uh, we would like the actually maybe a price of prey has a kind of a funky break on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but uh, even like on games people play, the guitar solo on games people play is really good. Sounds mm -hmm. like a Stratocaster to me, Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same here. I but, agree. But yeah, yeah, definitely really really cool. And this was their peak, by the way, because the album that came out after this was Eye in the Sky. So these couple okay. of years for them, they were at the top, mm -hmm. you know. They were just, and yeah. then they just went, phew, they fell off the face of the But all in all, I, I, I found it enjoyable. I, oh, good. Me too. Know, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like I, I said, I, I, I think the drums are weak. I think, you know, they're just, as I said, I'm, I know they're all professional musicians. I'm just saying the way they're recorded. And, and the good thing is that every song is different. Every You know, yeah. it's not like. You know, you, Lou, you've heard these stories about people in the 80s used to record, set the drums yeah. up, and that was it. Yeah. The drum sounded the same on every single song on the record. Well, th that did not happen here because, obviously, that song, Where Do We Go? I mean, there's a reason it was a hit single because everything is perfect. Yeah. Uh, everything sounds perfect on it. Right. I'm going right. to go back. I'm going to listen to iRobot. Oh, that's I'm definitely. Gonna, I... Definitely. Is that the that the that's not the first record? That's the second record. No, that's the second one. So the first one was Tales of Mystery and Imagination, the the Edgar Allan Poe album. I Robot came second. That I was almost like really debating. That was another one I was going to recommend to you guys. Mm -hmm. um, that's got some really good soulful stuff. I wouldn't want to be like you was on that album. Yeah, you know that song. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, is that Lenny Zazatek on vocals? Eh, let me tell you. Um, so I'm I think a it is. IT guy here. <laughs> and I, I like the theme of that record. It's about you know computers, artificial intelligence, which is definitely we're talking about that now. Um, well, so it was kind of visionary. Yeah, it was nineteen seventy seven when when uh, Star Wars came out, so that kind of mm. helped it, you know. Um, but they they put out, and in, I advise you to check out after that they put out Pyramid and Eve, two albums that 
you don't know them, I'd like Dale talk about a lot. They're very good mm. too, especially Pyramid. That's an excellent album. Uh, so. what, what's, what's the theme of Pyramid? Ancient Egypt? Yeah, uh, no, it's got a whole nothing to do with it. I thought it was when I got it. It's mm. if you look at the cover, you'll get it. I'm not going to say. You got to try and guess it. By the way, yes, Lenny sang vocals. I don't wouldn't want to be like you. Stop. Yeah. Well, so um, yeah. So oh, wait, we both. Oh, wait, reviewed wait, the I, record. I, I, check this out. Do you know who did the album cover? The album cover. Yes, art? I do. I do. Godling, Godling Cream from Ten CC. The two guys from Ten CC. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yep. They were they were groundbreaking uh, with video too. They did some. It was Godling Cream, but they did some interesting uh, vis, uh, visionary videos early on. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Much different. Much more advanced than say um, Lover Boys. Hot girls in love. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I've been discovering 10CC over the last few months. I never knew, I didn't know anything about them. So I've been kind of getting into them. But that's for another time. Um, that album, the 10CC album has got um, The Things We Do for Love. Is that just called 10CC? No. I don't know the name of it. Whatever the name was, uh, Playboy Magazine had that as their 1970s like, love making album. And that was that was the album to do Bob Seger's horizontal bop to. Oh boy, well, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, do you know where they got their name from? I'm not going to say it on the show. What do I have like a transfusion or something? Ten cc's of adrenaline or what? No, it's about the average um, the average amount of something that a male emits. Oh well, oh. you know, they're, they're, well, what All do you right. want? They're metric, you know. I mean. We don't do metric here in the USA. Yes, we do. <laughs> Every time you buy a bottle of liquor, it's either 750 milliliters or a liter. Yeah. I still call it a quart. Yeah. A, a fifth. You, a fifth yeah. of earth. A fifth of fifth. Do you guys want me to do the update on the Rolling Stones mobile? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. really interested Studio? in this. Well, guess where it is. Uh, it's in New Mexico in a hangar. It's in Canada, in Alberta. Because it's Canadian got so many hole. drugs on it, they had to take it, it to no, Canada. It is, it is still there. It's still functional. You can still rent it. It's in a museum, and, and the museum has a studio there called Studio Bell. And it is there. The Rolling Stones Mobile still has been refurbished and upgraded, and it's still there. Huh. Is it in the Royal Canadian Mountie uh, Museum or something? What's, it's what's in it? a museum in Alberta, Canada. Of all, of all in places. The... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now... And, you know, the, I found out also the reason that the Stones the Stones were annoyed. They'd always go to, like, say, Olympic Studios, and they'd start writing songs in the studio, like, you know, we don't do that, obviously, but they would do that. And they're getting, they're, they realize that we're getting charged for, like, writing songs in the studio. And, the, you know, they also had, like, a, you know, I guess back then they had the, you know, the jackets, you know, the the uh, the, the lab coats, you know, 9 to 5, oh, yeah. 9 to <clears throat> 5. And, like, you know, they might not want to start recording till 5, 8 o'clock at night or whatever. So that's where the, uh, and that's where Ian Stewart decided to, you know, gave them the, uh, put the bug in their ear about uh, the studio and, so that was it. They they didn't like getting charged for writing in the studio. Kind of like uh, Van Halen when they started their own studio. Same thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. The only thing about it is some artists that have their own studio is that you can get lazy. You got all the time in the world. Yeah. So sometimes the the pressure, if you can do it, will bring yeah. something. You know, 
I we I have Tom, home I have home we all got home equipment. I don't have to do that today. <laughs> Tom <laughs> Petty said know? that was one of the worst things that they did was getting a studio in his house. Really? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, because when you're in an actual studio, you're paying for. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get on with this. You know, yeah. when it's in your house, it could take a year." And apparently then he punched the wall and busted up his hand or something because he was yeah. mad at, uh, you know, Stan Lynch or something. Then he lost half his tour because he broke his hand. So Stan Lynch yeah. burned his damn house down, didn't he? Yeah. He did? Oh, I didn't know about that. Speaking of that. No, that's speaking... a joke between me and Bert. We said oh, okay. <laughs> Tom Petty fired so Stan Lynch burned his house down. <laughs> He's a hothead. <laughs> well, no, uh, the, no, it no, was no. It, it was the people from MCA uh, maybe. Those damn drummers, they're all hot. Sure. Well, I, I am. I'm definitely. <laughs> it was Lou. It was I, Lou. It was, it was me. <laughs> you fired one of my favorite drummers. No, no, it was fucker. Lou L.E.W. It was Lou. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder, I wonder did, did, did you see what it looks like, with the actual structure of this mobile studio? I'm just picturing like a, like, a, like, a, like a big trailer, like a big, tra it's like a big it, truck, It I is. It, it's, so, very, it's very narrow. It's very narrow. And um, you know, on the on the right side is the uh, you know twenty four track console and you know a two inch tape machine and all that and all the out you know the other equipment the outboard compressors. There's very little room in there. There's re really room for you know when Deep Purple did, there was room for Martin Birch and an engineer. Engineer. Um, does it have like a is that is it self propelled? Is that like a truck cab in the front? Is it? Yeah, but it's parked. But it was yeah, it's been driven. It, they used to drive it there. I mean, yeah. drive but no, not not towing it like a, like a, with a trailer or a tractor. Actually, has a someone at the steering wheel. Right, you know, it got, got a... driven to Headley Grange. Yeah, oh, okay. Yep. okay. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I found out also that the Rolling the second album, Sticky Fingers, the Stones used the mobile for that. They recorded that at Mix Estate. Hmm. I forgot the name of Mick's, uh, Mick Jagger's estate, but that's it, where Sticky Fingers was recorded using the mobile. It's called Shropfordshire on Thames. It was something to that, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yep. So bollocks on Thames. But since I mentioned Tom Petty, I just want to, can I go into Boys of Summer? It, it was written by Don Henley and Mike Campbell. Mike Campbell did write it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, was and Cooch. Danny, Danny Cooch, Danny Korchmar played guitar Cooch. and synthesizer steve picaro i don't know if you guys ever heard of steve picaro i sure just have toto just brother <laughs> he played synthesizer <clears throat> larry klein played bass oh and and it was produced by you know pretty much by mike campbell and danny cooch danny Kuchmar. Okay. Mm. was larry, a producer larry klein, also. i think is larry klein i think is married to Joni mitchell or was but he did a lot of playing on her her music by recline. Yeah, I, I seem to remember reading that somewhere. Yep. And I, I advise you guys, if you can YouTube it, listen to his slow acoustic version of that song on Howard Stern. Yeah. Oh, man, it just brings the lyrics to life. It's a sad, sad song. I, I like that. When yeah. Erica came out, is that Building the Perfect Beast? Yeah. Okay. Um, Sunset Grill. I mean, yeah, even, even the synthetic song. horns, the synthetic horns sound kind of good on that. I like that. Sunset Grill, I like that song. Yeah. And that's it's got, just a uh, nice song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, he's obviously he's one of the most distinctive vocalists ever in rock. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he's such the bad guy. I mean, he's I, uh, here's a, here's funny. A guy I worked with worked with. He worked at a restaurant, a very fancy hotel in South Carolina. In a hotel. Yeah. 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 So they had a guest. The guest is like the air conditioner needs to be adjusted. They come out and adjust the air conditioner. All right. They must have adjusted several, several times. The guy apparently has to have a certain perfect pitch temperature on his air conditioning. 
Turns out that it was Don Henley. <laughs> so, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so my friend goes, you know, he must be a real a-hole. I said, well, I said, well think about it. I said, maybe. You know, he's an artist. You know, he's a rock star, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a rarefied world they live in. But I was thinking because of his voice, he probably has his voice insured. Right. You know, the record company might, I mean, this is David Geffen when the Eagles come, he goes, you know, the first record, you know, he's like, this guy's got to sing more. So by the second record, third record, Henley was singing more and more. That's a record yeah, company. Yep. So maybe he might have his voice insured. It's got to be something because he can't lose it. Air conditioning, I can tell you, air conditioning can wreck your voice in the mm. car. They can destroy it. So maybe he was being a bit temperamental, but maybe he kind of, maybe he had to. Yeah, um, we all know when temperamental you... like Roger, like uh, like the singer from the Who, you know, yeah. about this marijuana smoke, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you, like, yeah. You start to get a sore okay, throat well. if you get if you start to get a sore throat and you have the air conditioner going, it always makes it worse, right? Like yeah. I got one now, it, and I'm praying I didn't uh, get it at the dead show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, uh, Lou. By the up. way, Lou. By the way, I'm drinking herbal tea. Are you really? Herbal. Yeah, it's very good herbal tea. It's made with hops and barley. <laughs> hey, hey, Perry, why don't you put some cool whip in it? All right? <laughs> Me, I'm drinking my own urine because I hear it's good for you. <laughs> and it's, it's sterile and you like the taste. Oh, did you know that there is a documentary, Lou and Mark, about Burt Burns? It's called Bang, the Burt Burns story. Who the hell is Burt Burns? Burt Burns, you know, the guy, Burt oh. Burns from Bang Records. He was, you know, he was working with Ahmed Ardigan and uh, the brother and uh, Neil Diamond and all those guys. The, the, he was, the brother of who? What brother? Big brother? Ar- Ahmed Ardigan and his brother, his, uh, Nishui. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. They were, you know, they were, I think we spoke about that with the Brill Building and stuff, like uh, okay. Bang Records. It was an, actually an acronym. So are, are they, they're not like a roulette records, Morris Levy type thing. It was just more... Honorable? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a it was a small independent label distributed okay. obviously by someone else. But uh, um, I think I asked you earlier before we went on the air. Excuse me. Have you ever heard um, Irma Franklin That's singing right. "Peace of My Heart"? Aretha Franklin's sister. Oh wow! In 1967, did what I know to be the original version of uh, "Didn't I Me." Come on, take another little piece of my heart now, baby. Right? Okay. And it's a great recording. It's a great recording. Mm. And the background singers on it are Sissy Houston. Okay. And Mother D. of. D. War- and D.D. Warwick. Oh. Dionne Warwick's sister. Okay. And Mother is of our- Whitney Houston. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are the background singers on this. If you get a chance to listen to it, uh, Piece of My Heart by Irma Franklin, Aretha Franklin's sister. Okay. Yeah, and I, it I was said- on... Sh- yeah. Sorry, it was on Shout Records, which was a subsidiary of Bang Records. Okay. okay. Yeah. We we discussed that we're not the biggest Janice fans. No, you know, I just, I don't, it never really grabbed me much. But I'd like to hear another version. Has anyone ever done, or has the Milk Crates and Turntables done, like, siblings of, like, lesser-known siblings of musicians? Like you mentioned, Irma, Irma Franklin. Um, I don't like know that. about lesser known, but I know that um, the Milk Crates, uh, Scott and Jack, did do a whole show on siblings in yeah. bands. And, you know, it wasn't just like the British guys. It was, you know, the Wilson sisters from Heart. Yeah. And, the Wilson brothers from the Beach Boys. But, like, a lot, and, of, people, um, a lot of people don't know, like, in, in Dire Straits, uh, his brother David Knopfler was the rhythm guitar player from the first yeah. three records. 
See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So a lot of that rhythm guitar you hear was Mark Knopfler's brother. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, but you mentioned Irma Franklin. Or I never heard of Irma Franklin before. If I did, I didn't make the connection. Yeah, uh, 1967. Or, uh, or yep, Armin Yeah. Yep. Now, the, now, the kids said it would call Armin Erdogan, Armin Irma Gerdigan. <laughs> but, um... He's another one of those giants, of the, a very respected guy. I did Atlantic Records do the tribute to him? Well, you know, I think, I think Zeppelin played it, and yeah. whoever the Mamas and Pop, whoever else was on. Uh, that was the uh, 40th that the anniversary. That, but um, okay. all uh, right. It's sad how he died. Is he fell at that Rolling Stone show that was yeah. filmed at the Beacon Theater? He fell and hit his head. That, that's sad. Yeah. Yeah, he could have lived like ten years longer. Who fell and hit his head? Ahmed Erdogan. Ahmed. You remember that Stone show they did at the Beacon, and they recorded it. They filmed it. Yeah. Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they did that all show, and then afterwards he was at the you know backstage where he fell and he clonked his head and it just put him under. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Atlantic was distributing uh, Rolling Stones uh, records, right? Yeah. Oh, Lou, you're right. You know what they did? I'm thinking of Zeppelin to the 40th anniversary. That was the O2 Arena. Yeah, with okay. the Ahmed Erdogan tribute, and that's they yeah. Did it? Yeah. Okay. They did Sorry. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Well, well, he's one of those guys. So, I mean, if you look at their background. Um, I, I, I would call them the good guys of the music business. You know, they're, they're all going to yeah. be ruthless and in their own way because there's so much money at stake. But these, these were people that believed in artists. He and let, he let when... bands he let bands develop, and, yeah, and I yeah. think the biggest success story to me is yes, their first three albums bombed, and he mm. gave them the time to develop. And he kind of like said to them, "Guys, all right, get it together." But then they got you know, and he gave a bunch of bands time to develop, and that's yeah, we don't yeah. see that anymore yeah. in the music business. And I guess no, no it's instant gratification now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and also, you know, your first album's got to be it. You got to have all these, how many singles, and then you got to wait five years to go through the laborious process of right. erotically filming, doing your next album over five years. And it's yeah. stupid. I mean, come on. Right. You know? Like when the Beatles were making those promo films for Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. Yeah. I don't think it was coming out of their salary, you know, their, you know what I mean? Like, oh, they, they, you know, well, Apple or um, Capital, right? Somebody Capital for the bill, EMI or you know. Yeah. Uh, you never know. Like, I mean, I mean, well, they were they were the Beatles, and they didn't have to pay. Anything yeah, any and they could easily pay for that themselves anyway. Yeah. It only benefited. Uh, it only benefited them. Yeah. I wonder who directed those videos because they're really good. I mean, the Strawberry Fields one is you know it's, it's definitely it's like it's it's heady. No, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was, do you think it was directed or if they just brought cameras out there and said, all right, we're going to climb the tree here and, you know, and you know, no. make us go backwards. Probably <laughs> not. I, I think there's, you know, they, they do things. They were, they were too well-known and too professional probably just to say, hey. Yeah, yeah. You know. so what do you want to so, roll on about, Lou? Hey, uh, all right. can I just throw I got, one thing in, Lou, before you start? What? Yeah. Just yeah. circle back on Don Henley. One more thing. This will be my last yeah. thing of the night. <laughs> no, uh, Henley kind of got screwed over. Uh, this week I read that three individuals have been uh, convicted of uh, mm -hmm. stealing his lyric sheets. Craig Inciardi, Glenn Horowitz, and Edward Kosinski. Kosinski. Craig was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Director of Curating and Acquisitions, by the way. All right? Oh. He was... What they did was, in 2005, they got lyric sheets of original lyrics for Hotel California, among other songs, that yeah. were stolen by a biographer that was hired to write a, bi a biography of the band in the 70s. He stole the stuff. Uh, 
Craig got them. And what they wanted to do with it is they were going to sell them. They were going to actually offer them to um, auction houses in an effort to get Don Henley to pony up and say, oh, no, I want them and give them money. Real dirty mm. deals, you know. Wow. Um, so they got convicted of it, which really? I think is, is good justice. Because yeah. Don Henley, why does he have to fork over that money, you know? Um, I don't know yeah, what will happen to the sheets, but they're gonna, they might go to jail. Uh, it's going to be a four-year sentence if they're convicted. Well, so, I think they got fired, probably, right? Well, the one, well, the one with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm sure, but it does, it's it's like another nail in the coffin of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, what's going on with these guys, you know? <laughs> so I'm just glad for Don that that worked out. Like he wasn't going to be uh, black, you know, blackmailed or whatever, you know. So you know, it turned you don't out good. Don yeah, you don't mess with the Don. Nah. Yeah. Go ahead, Lou. I'm sorry. No problem. That, that was an interesting little. Yeah, I mean, Tidbit. Um, so we were before our little pre-show uh, powwow. We mentioned we've never talked about rock critics, people who've written mm, about yeah. rock, and yeah. otherwise, you know, if, if without them, we would just listen. We'd have our own opinions. <laughs> we'd listen to albums ourselves without the influence of, of their opinion. Or whatever. <laughs> but you know, it, it's as you know, sometimes you know, it, it can be a ridiculous review or it can be very insightful. Um, but the guy, now, like are you talking talk. back in the pre-cell phone days, or are you talking? Uh, well, yeah, going back to the you know yeah. the mid '60s, you know the advent of yeah, like, Crud- yep. Crudaddy magazine, Rolling Stone, of course. Um, but the guy I like yep. to talk about has been credited, and I didn't know this because I'm, I'm very much aware of him and what he's done in music, uh, much less so as far as rock journalism or rock criticism. But he's credited with inventing modern rock criticism, and the man's name is Richard Meltzer, who we talked about in conjunction with Blue Oyster Cult last week. Where he's I've written seen li- that he's, name. Yeah. yeah, he's written lyrics for a lot of uh, bang. Thank you. Yep. Um, he's written um, articles for like most of his magazines, but you know, in high school he was a classmate of Sandy Perlman, who was the producer and one of the. You know, these guys were the yeah, Sandy yeah. Perlman and, and Mary um, Marty Kirk, Mary Krugman. They actually defined the Blue School concept. They came up with the name of the band. They came up with the concept. You know, they they wanted, like you said, their early records sound mysterious and ethereal. That was the intention, mm-hmm. was to create an aura of mystery about this band. Um, Richard Meltzer came up with the umlaut. So that's came his up little, with what? The umlaut over oyster or whatever. It's, or is it is that cult? what that is? Yeah, it's over is cult, that yeah. yeah, it's an umlaut. I don't know what it means. Um, but, they, but So he would do these high school pranks. Like they, they were like creative. It wasn't like, you know, blowing up a toilet. He did these like creative pranks in conjunction with Sandy Perlman. He was an mm-hmm. inter- interesting guy. Um was up writing for Crawdaddy, Rolling Stone, The Village Voice, and he wrote for Cream Magazine. And the punk era, he actually had formed a band called Vom, V-O-M, Vomit. Um, they were known, they did a seven-inch EP. Um, one of the songs, was, apparently, was a, they made a video for it. It was called Electrocute, Electrocute Your Cock. It's one of the songs. So I, they did a video of it where he's, like, in the shower. I, I, I haven't seen it. I might look it up. I maybe, I don't know. Maybe I won't. Um, but in 2002, he put a, a, a punk CD called Tropic of Nipples. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a plan, Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer, but it's pretty fucking funny. Um, and with, so, with, on that CD, he worked with uh, members of the band. This is bad. Smegma. Henry Miller. Henry Miller's wrong. He didn't Henry write Miller. this song. <laughs> um, I know. I, I'd heard of the band called Smegma, but I haven't delved into that. Um, but so, it was members of Smegma, Vom, uh, Robert Pollard of Guided by Voices. So, well into his latter life, he's you know he's still he's making music. Um, he wrote, he wrote some, several books. He got into the um, architectural cri- criticism. So his most well-known rock book, I think, is called The Aesthetics of Rock. 
And the book he bought her about architecture is called Richard Meltzer's Guide to the Ugliest Buildings in Los Angeles. Ooh, which cool. sounds That sounds pretty cool, you know. I mean, not classic, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright stuff, but some ugly, ugly buildings. Um, so I'm going to go list of Bullish or Cult songs that he has written the lyrics to. And I think, Mark, you'll probably know these more than Perry. Um, one, this is Perry's favorite BOC song, and it's called He Wrote the Lyrics to She's as Beautiful as a Foot. <laughs> Great song. So, so the line, don't cut your tongue in the bloody tamale, whatever that means. I, know, I think we know what that means. I think this is dirty shit. Um, he wrote the lyrics to Stairway to the Stars. Uh, these are both on the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote the lyrics to Teen Archer from the second record, Tyranny and Mutation. Um, he wrote one of my favorite. This is from the third album, um, Secret Treaties, uh, considered by many to be their best album. He wrote the lyrics to KG Cretans. It's about inbred people in Maine. <laughs> it gets so lonely in the state of Maine. Yeah, I bet. Um, he wrote the lyrics to Harvester of Eyes on, that, on Secret Treaties. Yeah. Uh, great Eric Poom vocal. He wrote the lyrics to what was in one of my vocal features in Philosinium. I sang Death Valley Nights. That was one of my covers. Hmm. Uh, it's a pretty song, Albert Bouchard song. Um, he wrote the lyrics to Dr. Music from the album Mirrors. Yep. He wrote the lyrics to Lips in the Hills, which is from Cultosaurus Erectus Perry. That's the first Martin Birch produced BOC record, which I think you said you're going to listen to. Uh, another great Eric Bloom vocal. Uh, he wrote the lyrics to Burning for You, their second big hit. Uh, top 48. Really? Yeah, he wrote the lyrics. Um, oh, wow. Smash hit. A non Probably their biggest hit. No, no, Don't Fear right. the Reaper. Oh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah, right, I think right. it's but still... That was yeah. their second biggest hit. Yeah, Don't Fear the Reaper might have gone top 10. I don't know, but um, Burn Fee was in the top 40. But, you know, it was, it was a big hit. Also, Burn Fee was one of the earlier 1981 um, MTV videos. And it is... Yeah, yeah. I love the band. The video is so cheap. I remember seeing it. I remember yeah. seeing it. That the, the guy played a... Uh, a I flying think was, I don't know. He, yeah, but one of them played a guitar without a head on it. Yeah, well, no, that's in modern days. I don't know if that's a Steinberger, but Eric Bloom. Steinberger, yeah. Eric Bloom played yeah. the Kronos guitar. He had a guitar shaped in the symbol of Blue Colts Kronos symbol, the, oh, the yeah, kind of fix with the spoon at the bottom. Yeah. Well, kind of like that yeah. Prince thing, or, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Less elaborate, though. Hey, Eric, uh, he wrote the lyrics to Veins. Yeah. Uh, the first post Albert Bouchard album, uh, The Revolution by Night. But not a bad album. He wrote the lyrics to Veins. Uh, mm-hmm. A song called Spy in the House of Night. I think that's on the Club Ninja record. Yeah. And he wrote the lyrics to Stone of Love, which I don't know, and The ruin, uh, the Return of St. Cecilia, which might have been on Imaginers, Mark. I'm not, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so that was uh, him. So I, I, I knew he was a critic, but I don't remember. I'm not sure if I read any of his reviews. I remember like, um, like Robert Criscow, um, J.D. Considine, who has yeah. the, most, the most famous and should have been a Pulitzer Prize winning critique of an album because he reviewed the first GTR album by Steve Howe and Steve Hackett and his yeah. review is GTR SHT and that's <laughs> I like so the album that'll, that'll like never it. not be funny I mean <laughs> is he still alive does he, yes, does he, he have like an online presence or you know, I, you know like I, I don't I don't know I don't know but he's still alive he's still doing things I, I mean he you know he did the um you know that was it the uh, <laughs> Tropic of Nipples um, but I, I don't know if he's still writing for magazines. Or I'm he's, staring he's, clear, man. <laughs> he's still doing critiques. Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did he Did he write for any specific magazine, or was he yeah, just freelance? Uh, Roller, no, well, he wrote, I mean, I, I think he was like a freelance, but he, I mean, he, he was well-known, so he could write for anyone. But he wrote for Rolling Stone, uh, Crawdaddy, Cream, The Village Voice he wrote for. Oh, um, shit. He wrote, you were yeah, for a so, list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you think he, of, I don't know where, but it, considering he's considered the inventor of modern rock criticism, 
I don't know where he places in people's minds as far as what you thought. I think of Robert Criscow and J.D. I've Constantine. seen that name so many times in all those magazines we used to read, right? Yeah, well, you mean uh, Richard Meltzer or? No, the Criscow. Criscow, uh, yeah. And even, yeah. even, even, <coughs> even Lester Bangs, I think, is more Lester well Banks. known. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I don't know if Lester Bangs, he was a BOC fan, but I don't know if he wrote any lyrics for them, but uh, he was a fan. Mm. Um, but, yeah. We like what well, we you got you to admire these guys because they pull no punches. They don't pull their punches. Yeah. No, you no, know? no, yeah. And I've and I've always said with with rock critics, a lot of people hate critics because they say, "Oh, they're just paid to write their opinions." But if a critic says, "I love an album and gives it five stars," I don't trust that review. But when a critic slams an album and he says it's terrible, I read why they don't like it. And I've discovered more of my favorite albums yeah. from critics not liking them. And that's what I right. love about, like, you go on Amazon. So an album comes out, right? And you go on an Amazon. Some people, that's the worst album from this band. But I read it, if they're loose, if they're you know clear about why they don't like the album, I go, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to like that album. And I order it and I like it. So, mm. uh, yeah. yeah, critics what? serve a definite purpose. And, you know, they, they can, they're biased about what they like. I mean, if you think about sure. it, Led Zeppelin was never a critic's darling. Right. You know, and you right. look at my yeah. name, nor Black right. Sabbath, right? Yeah. Or yeah. ELP, yeah. Emerson Lake and Palmer, either. Uh, Jethro Tull. Um, a lot of mm -hmm. heavy metal, a lot of hard rock never got to do it. And I, I, I said this before, but you know, David, Laura, David Lee Roth has a very great quote. He's like, most rock critics like Elvis Costello because they look like Elvis Costello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I know it's a lot of critics that are opinionated. They like, they, they will not like what's in right now. They're looking for the next thing. So in the late 70s, a lot of like Rolling Stone critics were hopping on whatever talking heads because Led yeah, Zeppelin had yeah. run a course and they were abandoning that ship. That's that's probably the detriment of critics is like why don't you just judge an album by itself? They do get you know hey if we if we reviewed albums for a living we'd be like that too. We have our likes and dislikes. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's a great thing like you, you know the Village Voice. I mean you know that's a that's a big newspaper. Yeah, it's a big newspaper and it's. You know, they cover a lot of topics and a lot of music in the Village Voice. So, yeah, like, I mean, we need the critics, I think. Yeah, We're all I agree. critics, actually, now, right? With uh, yeah. oh, any, yeah, anybody who has an online presence is a critic. We yeah. just criticized the uh, the, the um, Alan Parsons Project record, right? And yeah. I, I just got a text from Stuart Elliott, the drummer. And he goes, weak, huh? <laughs> <laughs> My fist isn't weak. <laughs> The, um, no, I, I know what you're saying. Oh, yeah, it's like I said, that wasn't a dig. That wasn't a, it. Just your, your, that is your critique of what you thought the drums were on that song. It wasn't a slam. You obviously know the guys. It was not a slam. Of course I not. Wasn't, of course I not. wasn't. I wasn't saying no. anything about the talent of the person. I'm of just course. saying about the, the yeah. recording. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, no. No. Nothing. Absolutely. So that, no, that's a little valid, jab you know. at Alan Parsons, probably. And who knows? Going back, how many times? You know, Stuart Ellen might have said, you know, I can, maybe I could have done a little more there. Maybe you know, like. As a, as a drummer, I know um, there's a yeah. tendency to sometimes contain you. I've been contained as a drummer because we're just you know you know we're good or bad, but um, sometimes the role of the drummer is to be nothing or just to be the well, simple timekeeper. But you know, when you work for Alan Parsons, you do as you're told. We we all know yeah. that. So yeah. and, um, and what what is his beef, by the way, with Dark Side of the Moon and Pink Floyd? I know he was an engineer on the record. It's and just the fact that the album was on the charts for how many years and. He didn't Ever. get a penny out of it, so I think that may he just be got it. A, he just got a fee as an engineer. Yeah, he, got, yeah. he, got, he, got he didn't get a, he didn't get a royalty fee. percentage, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and let's face it. I mean, those those recordings of the cash register, the re- the recordings of the people talking, that was all him. And I guess he feels a little jaded, and that may be partly why he wanted to do his own thing and refused to work on Wish You Were Here. Don't blame him. You yeah, know. right, but right. But you know what? The, another thing about I find about the, this whole critic thing, um, what I like is, all right, so, Lou, you, you got me on the Blue Easter Cold Kick. Now, of course, you go to Wikipedia, right? You bring up the first album, you mm-hmm. read about it. Then you can move on to the next album and read about it. But when I really read about an album, the second thing I always do, I go to Amazon, pull up the CD, I read the reviews from the listeners, and I love to hear the reviews. And based on those reviews, like, all right, I think that will be my favorite cult album or one of my favorites, you know? Uh, what, what I hate, though, is I think I've said this many times. I hate when they go, that's the best Blue Oyster Cult album. No, that's your favorite. Mm-hmm. That, your favorite yeah. isn't the best. Yeah. There is no best, best Blue Oyster Cult yeah. album because yeah. everyone yeah. has their own favorite, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So. Your favorite Zeppelin album is Into the Outdoor. Yep. And I Which would a lot, be killed a lot of people for would that. Say, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Zeppelin fans in the hardcore like they like it, but it's you know it's not physical graffiti or whatever. But that's your personal favorite. You're not, and you're not saying that's the best Zepp record. You're following your own word there. Walking My your favorite record with the Rolling Stones mobile, by the way. Too. No, no, into the outdoors yeah, recorded. Yeah, did they know? No, Rolling Stones. No, 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 that physical, no, physical Led graffiti Zeppelin was. recorded. Yes. Led, physical graffiti. Yeah, so, Led Zeppelin uh, recorded like four albums using the mobile. So. Wow. In our three-hour oh, yeah. ride to the Dead & Company show, because traffic sucks in New York City, me and Takena, uh, my son-in-law, had a great discussion on Led Zeppelin, and he he's he's he doesn't like like the first couple albums. They stole a lot of blues songs and Aiden credit, and I agree, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but we agreed like Led Zeppelin Four was they were starting to get away from the total blues, and they were getting into they had a lot of their own thing in there. But Song Remains the Same was their album. We disagreed on which album. He said Physical Graffiti, but Physical Graffiti incorporates a lot of the old recordings. It goes back to Led Zeppelin Three. Ian Stewart's on it, you know, uh, Yogi yep. with Stu. But then, you know, I settled on I said, I said, absolutely, my favorite, not because Physical Graffiti is a great album. It may be, actually, that may be my favorite. When I say Into the Outdoor is my favorite, because it didn't sound like anything that they had put out. And it was recorded at ABBA Studios in Sweden. Or, uh, are they from Sweden? Kill me now. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. They recorded up there at the same studio Genesis recorded, and then there were three at and it was just like that's why I always say it's my favorite. You know, it's just like it's so different. So yeah. Um, but if you look on Amazon, if someone said, "I really didn't like that album because they had too many keyboards and they were so different," that would pique my interest. If I didn't know that album, I'd say, "Oh, I got to order this album. It doesn't sound like any other Zeppelin album." So that's why I like reading reviews. And uh, yes, know. yeah. So there's that swinging around back to what yeah. Lou was saying about the reviews. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. One and, thing I, and they're wrong a lot of times too. Sure, you know if the reviewers say, "Well, Black Sabbath is a piece of crap," yeah. or you know, like, yeah, right, okay, you know, you know. And you read on Wikipedia if you read like uh, re- critical reception of albums, they'll always have the initial reception, and then in retrospect, yeah. and a lot of the most hated albums in in rock history, in retrospect, they're liked because people realize where they're coming from at the time. You know? Yeah, but so. but Lou is right about the one you know when the guy reviewed uh, GTR SHT. Like, yeah, that's I, a I, didn't, I didn't like the record myself. But I mean, now you yeah, see that, that, that's their shark sandwich. You know, did yeah. he really write that? They didn't say that. That's clever. See now, here's here's my guilty pleasure. I love that album. I was in high school. I loved it. <laughs> so what are you gonna do? Really? Um, you know what I miss though? I miss we don't see live concert reviews anymore. I remember getting all the even the newspaper. I 
even the Bergen Record in New Jersey would review the Genesis concert at Giant Stadium. You don't see that anymore, and I wish we could see that more. Well, uh, who be- reads newspapers anymore? Yeah, I do. I still sit on my porch with yeah. a paper newspaper. Really? So, Good yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, even with movies, um, I, I, I'm using Roger Ebert as an example. He read he had some pretty savage reviews of some movies, and then 20 years later, he went looked again, and he's like, I was yeah. wrong. I was rude. Yeah. I was rude. Yeah. I, it was, <laughs> he um, wasn't exactly right. He wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, time can change your perspective. Now, Yeah, but a guy like Roger Ebert, don't forget, this guy wrote, like, Valley of the Dolls. You yeah. know, like, are you going to pan your own movie, pal? Because wow. that's a piece of crap. You know? Wow. Never never saw it. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, like, even even going back back 20 years, and I lost my train of thought I was going to jump on there. But anyway, we'll get back. Oh, well, you, you were know talking what? about reviewers. Uh... Go ahead. Yeah, but it's nothing. Well, oh, no, know, we, he, went to, uh, we went to... Uh, Led Zeppelin. We, we, we drifted yeah. to Led Zeppelin, physical graffiti. And can I jump in about um, Houses of the Holy? Late, right lately, on. I listened to uh, Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy. And uh, the first song, um, what's the first song in Houses of the Holy? Song Remains the Same. I don't know. Song Remains the Same. It's a like, symphony. What? Yeah. It's, there's like 13 layered guitars mm. on there or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I've seen Rob, I've seen Robert Plant interviewed, and uh, he he gets a kick out of Americans who call the song "Dire Maker," you know. Like, <laughs> well, I'm one of those guys. Well, I we Dire all Maker. How, how would you know? How would you know? It, yeah, I mean that, that that's a little snotty. I, I think you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, like, was, like was, in New Jersey, we have our thing. G yet? <laughs> it's not did you eat? It's G yet. But you know, no one outside of New Jersey may not know that. <laughs> right, G- yeah, 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 because we have to save that half a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rush, rush, Gotta rush. get on the turnpike. Um, and I was like, I was telling it that 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 opening one-two punch song remains the same. Into rain song, Page was that's when he was at I think his peak as a songwriter. Those are incredible songs that mm-hmm. when you play them on guitar, they're just incredible pieces of music. You know, mm-hmm. for me, the rest of the yeah. album I can do. I I love the whole album, but the rest of the album. Those first two songs, that's it. That's it for me. If nothing else, I'm happy, you know? So you guys disagree with Ginger Baker's assessment of Bonham as he couldn't swing a sack of shit? I don't disagree mm. with that. <laughs> well, you, wait, I get a kick out of that. You don't think Bonham could swing, though? I think, I think he's a rock drummer. Well, yeah, he's yeah. a rock drummer, yeah. So is Ringo, but Ringo had a swing to his playing. If you listen to Hard Day's Night, like a hard yeah, day, it's swung, but I mean... Yeah. I, I think it, maybe... Baker was right to that extent, but that does not certainly make him an inferior drummer, obviously. But he was just heavier and a little more. But he had finesse. Yeah. And yeah, listen to "Fool in the Rain." Don't you think he has a little swing on that? Oh yeah, that, that's that's, that's, that's a shuffle. Well, that, it's, that a heavy, it's a heavy that, swing. Yeah, yeah, that was that Purdy yeah. shuffle thing, right? Uh, it, Bernard yeah, Purdy were, played yeah. drums on that song, I think. You know, it wasn't John Bonham, it was Bernard it wasn't, Purdy. No, right? no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came in the studio. I got it. Don't go there. Don't go there, man. Now, did Bernard Purdy play on the Curly Shuffle? Yes. Yuck, and he, yuck, he played yuck. on the Super Bowl Shuffle, too, didn't he? <laughs> is, there, is there such a thing? I don't want yeah, to there's a, the, the, the um, Chicago Bears oh, yeah, won, won yeah, a Super Bowl, oh. I don't know, like in, in the 1980s, and they did a song called the Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure <laughs> embarrassing as it may be. Oh, yeah. Mortifying. So, guys, can I can I come in, cut in for a minute? Yeah, you're not cutting you know in. This, that, uh, this is our show, Perry. 
This is our All show. All right, so we are officially, I guess, we're broadcasters, right? I think broadcast journalists. So, so, but we have, well, we're broadcast journalists, whatever we are, we have a responsibility to the public, do we not? To as do broadcasters. What? As broadcasters. Yeah, responsibility to being what? To be... To be, well, put it this way, like, you know, we have to, we have, so I have a public service announcement. Don't that drink as wine. We, as <clears throat> we, as broadcasters, I have a public service announcement. Okay, yeah. so... Um, we just have to uh So, kids, Harry, you just not jaywalk, kids. That's right. You just saved one kid's life. If you jaywalk, a cop will step on your neck. You know, it's not <laughs> yes. good. You know? Um, <laughs> We had a little actual incident with a jaywalker and a police officer last year. It was like, give him a, give him a ticket, but don't beat him senseless, you know? Yep. Um, also, cross at the green, not in between. Yes. Um, don't eat paint chips. And I know I did. I ate a lot and of them. Keep, keep your eyes to look out. Keep your ears to hear, you know? And if and you're I a driver of an automobile in Pearl River, New York, after the hours of 12 a.m. and between and before 4:30 a.m., assume every walker is drunk off his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and use your goddamn turn signals. Yep. Oh, by the way, Lou, I listened to Stop Good Day Sunshine. Stop signs are not optional. <clears throat> I listened to Good Day Sunshine by the Beatles. Good and um, I know we've been talking about Ringo a lot. And you know, of course, the song starts. Good day, sunshine. But. In the intro, he doesn't do it. But during the rest of the song, when it goes good days, he splashes the cymbals. Yeah. He splashes the cymbals. And it's it's an integral part of the song. Oh, yeah. Ringo yeah. splashing those cymbals on the chorus. It's amazing. It's not unlike what, well, if it's even him, like he did He did Love Me Do as well. Um, do, 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 do. Love, love me do. It's like he just does a drop. Well, weren't there three people also, playing on Love Me Do? There's no, no. There's 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 Alan White, the yes. not the Alan White of Yes, but the other English drummer Alan White, right on the forty five um, or yeah. some version of it, right? Ring, Ringo's on one version, but on the Alan White version, Ringo's playing tambourine, but it's the same part. It's that same. Yeah. Yep. Boom. Now on Good Morning, yes. Good Morning, yep. he does the same thing. He does that simple yep. drop. Good morning. Um, I call her. It's a it's a great Ringoism, and whenever I can, I'll do it. If you can we do know, a Ringo I was anywhere, today, do I was, a Ringo. I I was watching something today, and uh, and they, they went about on about uh, what we were discussing recently about um, uh, Dear Prudence and how Paul was playing, you know, the basic stuff you hear was just Paul. And then, of course, when Ringo came back, he started overdubbing all these, you know, yeah. intricate little in-between things that Ringo was so famous for. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, they're just great, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, it's Ringo. The Ringo's back, man, you know. Yeah, and the, the, the fills, I mean – yeah, I've heard Paul as a drummer, and you know, he's really good, really. Yeah. I, I do think, it to me, it sounds like Ringo, it might be Paul playing the beat, but that was Ringo coming in doing those. It, it's Paul, Paul's holding it steady, yep, and yeah. Ringo is the one who put in all that nice, intricate stuff after that, yeah. yep. That's funny. With, with the Beatles, too, John made a good point. He goes, George was the invisible singer. Like, you know, most people think, you know, John and Paul on either side of the stage, but, you know. Yeah. You, you can hear when you listen closely, and if you, like, when you learn about harmony, because I've had to learn about harmony, 
On certain and, songs, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. Now, yep. George, George could sing rather low. He could also sing pretty high. Um, but, you know, his mm. voice wasn't the strongest of the three, but it definitely in, definitely in there. But John said yeah. he was the invisible. John said, George was the invisible singer, and I was the invisible guitar player. Or, you, you know, you, if you see the videos, like when you watch the, you know, the Get Back video, you see John doing it. John had great guitar hands. I watched him play, really, and an interview with McCartney, uh, after, well after John died, you know, McCartney took some flack for being not heartfelt enough when John died because, you know, when he was that devastated, it's hard to be yeah. pithy, you know. But he goes, because yeah. John and I would sit in our bedrooms, and he goes, John had beautiful hands. He goes, he had very beautiful hands. He goes, nobody else knows that because I know that about John. That's the thing. No one can take that away from me. Like, and then when I watched Get Back, I, I watched him play. It was like, I got a feeling. I said, he had some really nice hands, but they were, they were I don't, I got little hands. I don't have, I have drummer hands. Like, I can't do the guitar thing like that, you know. But I watched, I said, he had some really good hand structure on, on his guitar, you know, not being a virtuoso. The Mark's got it. Well, look at that. You know, look at those hands. Look at those hands. There's, <laughs> there's, there's going to be a hand so, model there, pal. There's, there's so <laughs> many people who, uh, who know that uh, John Lennon was a fabulous rhythm guitar player. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Like on, uh, what's that song, Dance With Me? Uh, Before this dance is through, I think I want to be your partner, can't you see? The rhythm guitar he's playing, like, you know, I don't know what they're called, triplets or, you know, yeah. whatever they're, you know, whatever they're called. And, then, and on, um, close your eyes and I'll kiss you. What's that, eight, I'm going for eight days a week now. All my loving. All, all my loving. <laughs> That's a lot of fast guitar. Yeah. But yeah. John, John's a lead guitarist on, um, was it You Can't Do That? Really? Yeah. Really? Dun, 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 dun. Really? It's really dirty. It's not very um That's an lyrical. angry song. It's a yeah. it's an angry song, but it's it's a very it's a yeah. rhythm guitar solo, but he, that's him playing. And there's one vi and funny, the, the one video, a live video from a, a really good Beatles concert, when they're playing that song, the camera's not on John, it's on Paul. And John's doing the guitar solo, which you don't seem to do on stage with the Beatles yeah, ever yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, they don't know how to. They didn't know how no, to direct. Somebody yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah somebody screwed. Yeah. Up. But yeah. you know, it's funny on one of those earlier concerts from Japan. This is how cheap technology was. Paul's Paul's microphone is is swirling, it's, so he keeps stopping. Which this is Paul McCartney of the Beatles having like a friggin' microphone, you know? Like yeah. that that doesn't happen now. There's no way that happens now. It's not. No, I saw I saw yeah. one film from I don't know when 1965 maybe or whatever, and like somebody's mic wasn't working. They just walked over to John's mic and you know uh, finished the yeah. song there. Or something, you know. They're saying screw I, it. Nobody could hear him anyway, so they didn't care. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so on the end on, on Abbey Road. At the last, there's three. There's the three guitar solo parts, right? You know the order: who's first, who's second, who's third. I know who's third. It's obvious. I can't yeah. tell George and Paul apart. I know John's the third one, right before the end. And in the end, I always so the thought about one, that. The third one is definitely John. It's dirty. You can it's always just, tell John. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of funky. It's not rhythmic. It's yeah. not lyrical. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I think I think it's Paul, George, then John. I think. But I can't tell George and Paul apart, which says a lot about McCartney as a guitar player. Yeah. yeah. And that you was know? a song with Ringo's only drum solo too. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't. He yeah. didn't want to do it. Yep. I I understand his plate. Hey, I got I went, in trouble. Yeah. I, I was I was playing a gig at the guitar bar and uh, it was going good and. The guy turns and goes, you want to take a solo? I went, no. <laughs> you know, How about that song? It's not a good Road. idea to do. It makes you look bad. How about that song on Abbey Road called Because? That's the Beach Boys. They're doing yeah. the Beach Boys. Yeah. Great it's song. Beautiful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Hey, when, you hear the, when you hear the vocals isolated without, you know, it's just all. 
It's beautiful. It's amazing. I mean, <laughs> you've heard these you've heard these Paul McCartney records, right? Like the first one, and uh, I think Ram is the second one. He's doing the Beach Boys. It's that's what he's doing. Yeah. He loves yeah. the Beach Boys. The back seat of my car. Yeah, the back, the back seat of my car is the Beach. It's the Beach Boys. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, there was at my, uh, at my most beautiful is REM doing the Beach Boys, including the and drums. I, I, I saw this. Uh, I saw this thing about uh, Brian Wilson when he was doing. Uh, I don't know. I think he was doing um, not Pet Sounds, but you know he's got this band where they knew, they do every note, note they knew everything note for note. You you know who I mean, right? This band that he's got, Brian Wilson, and he was doing this gig. I don't know where it was, probably in L.A. somewhere, and all these celebrities. Paul McCartney was there, and Paul McCartney went backstage to talk to Brian. Brian kisses Paul's hand. Wow. And Paul's like, Brian, you don't <laughs> understand how great you are. You don't understand how we love you. You don't know. You know? And he's kissing Paul's hand, and Paul's like, no, no, no. You are great. You must kiss my bloody arse. <laughs> don't kiss my but, hand. I'm Sir Paul McCartney. You kiss my royal ass. No, if, if, without, <laughs> Pet Sounds, without Pet Sounds, it wouldn't have been a Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, well, this might have been this might have been where he was doing uh, what was the follow smile he and he did smile and and uh, I saw and uh, and of course uh, Van Dyke Parks was in the crowd. I think I told you this once before, where Van Dyke Parks was weeping in his seat, weeping visibly moved by what was happening on stage because he was the lyricist for uh, a lot of these songs, right, right. and he was in his seat weeping. In a sea, unbelievable. He, he wrote the lyrics to Heroes and Villains, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think so. He, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yep. Now, Heroes and Villains, I liken that to River Deep Mountain High, where it's a better song, but it didn't do what the Beach Boys thought it was going to do. It, it was it was supposed to be like a follow up to Good Vibrations, another one of Brian's yeah. symphonies. And, and it's a great, it's a great, you, it's a great song, but it didn't do what they thought it was going to do. Funny you said the critics. Said it sounds like barbershop quartet junk. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So there's the critics again. Like there's that. Bring it back around to the critics. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now they're now probably you know they they probably go back and eat their hat. You know. Um. But now smile. I think it's got that. I think it's a dumb song. But McCartney plays on it. Vegetables. I'm he, going he, to eat. He chews on my vegetables. vegetables. He just right. chews on vegetables on microphone. Yeah. That's what he oh, does. Oh, yeah. he didn't. He didn't play bass. He just okay. No, no. He just chewed on some vegetables. <laughs> wow, that's that's kind of cool. But the song is yeah. dumb. It's a dumb song. I'm sorry. Sorry, Brian. Yeah. No, you, yeah. I love you. I mean, you're amazing. You're a genius. Hey, you're in, you, hey, you know what? Let's let's circle back one thing to McCartney. And, and Mike um, Love is the biggest douchebag in rock and roll. Right? Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Um, let's uh, no love and Mike Love. But circle back one thing on on on, um, on Paul McCartney. It's got to be really tough to be Paul McCartney. Now, some guy might say, no, he's rich. He's got everything. Like what you said about Brian Wilson wanting to kiss his hand. Like, Paul McCartney, he has to deal with this on a daily basis, people treating him like God. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I keep, I hate to circle back to Howard on everything, but Howard had a good story because he's had Howard Paul McCartney on. Yeah, Howard, he's, Howard had, Stern. he's had him on like three or four times as a, a interview. Mm -hmm. And... But he, he gave this great story once. He said um, he was at – I forget what the event was, but he was there for a few days, and there was Paul McCartney, and Paul was like, Howard, how are you? Because he's always been close to him. Like, he, he likes mm -hmm. that. So Paul – like, you know, Howard's like, oh, Paul McCartney's my friend. So, like, they were talking, everything, and then yeah. the next day 
he came back to wherever they were, and I can't remember what the event was, and he's, he had someone with him. And he said, Paul, can I think it was someone in his family. And he said, look, this is my, it might have been his daughter, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And Paul looked at him like, who are you? And what Howard said is he's got this protection thing. Like, mm-hmm. he's in a bubble, but for a reason. Like, okay, Howard, I'm close to you, but if you bring someone in, I can't let that in because this is Paul McCartney. And it's like, so, yeah, you are you may be a good friend with him one day, and the next day he may not. And it's not that he's not being nice. It's like he's got to move on or whatever. I mean, this guy, I think of the thousands of people he's been yeah. in contact with through, mm-hmm. through his life. Um, yeah. But that was that when he said that it just taught me like when you're as iconic as that it can drive people to nervous breakdowns as we've seen you know and paul paul handles it in the way he handles it and i think he's really great at handling it and i think that's also why he's so ready to play with younger bands like dave Grohl and foo fighters it's just his way of saying hey i like you you know but it's weird it's it's a strange thing like you know He's definitely a loner. Like he is alone. He 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 can talk to a million people, but he's Paul McCartney, so he has to stay in his bubble. He's got a few trusted people, and that's it. And uh, so yeah, it's like it's, you know that thing with Brian yeah, Wilson but, uh, probably made him feel really uncomfortable. Really, yeah. Uncomfortable. But look what happened to his two his two bandmates. Right? Yeah, yeah. One of them, two of them, almost got murdered. Right. I mean, George Harrison nearly got murdered. Yeah, he was he was very close. Right. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a lot of people said George was never the same after that. His, yeah, his I heard other, the same. His, whether some people think, uh, whether you speculate, someone thought his health issues after that were a direct result of the trauma of that. I new, I heard that, that his cancer got worse or something. It did something. Uh, or it happened after that. Well, yeah. you know, when you live on a giant estate like that, and you know somebody could break into a basement you n- window, you never, you never know. They a could half be living... a mile down the road, you'll never know. No, that they, they could be living in the West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what yeah. happened. He smelled cigarette smoke. Like it wasn't me. And he went down there, and you know, really, was, yeah, the guy. I think he took a lance off a suit of armor or something. But uh, so apparently, and George's she... wife, she's uh, she has martial arts training, so she helps to do him. But she, she hit the... she clocked the guy. She clocked the him with, with a lamp or something, right? Or a fireplace poker a fireplace or poker yeah. yeah i would have stabbed him in the head with it yeah wow but yeah well, I, you know I, what? I read the thing where george said george had he had him in the, he goes he felt himself getting weak and he thought he, he thought that was it you know yeah Ugh. anyway uh newsflash we have the um, relish music yeah all right the clip for strawberry fields direct strawberry fields forever oh. was directed yeah. by nice. peter goldman a swedish television director who had been recommended to the Beatles by their mutual friend, Klaus Vormann. Klaus Vormann. Yep. So that's it was Klaus. a Swedish commercial. Break. Very, uh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Perry, I've been going through that um, the Beatles book he gave me about the uh, what's that called? The singles or the the songs that they put out uh, post Beatles, post uh, post Abbey Road or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, after 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 yeah, yeah. after Abbey um, Road or yeah. But I, I saw how Klaus Vormann played on a lot of it. A lot and, for John and yeah. George, right? And what, and what I didn't know until today was that uh, Jim Gordon is the drummer on What Is Life. I knew that, yeah. Okay. That is great. Is that not... That is one of my favorite George Harrison songs. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, then, and they, they remixed it. So he, uh, initially when they first recorded, George thought it was too reverb heavy. And really? So the two, yeah, so the remix is how the reverb toned down. But yeah, he was going, I mean, it's Phil Spector, so he was going for that wall of sound, that whole Phil Spector thing. 
Um, and there's one song, I think it's Ringo and Jim Keltner on the same one. That might have been a, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, it was interesting because, you know, they're mentioning some of the early Lennon stuff, but like songs like Mother. I mean, yeah. For what it is at the time. That, that John Lennon stuff. No, really? I mean, I love I, Mother. Oh, it's. It's heavy and all, but it is just you know. Or my, my mummy's dead. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, like yeah. you know, like um, it always changes. It always changes. You know, yeah, like if, I, I, I'm into John, but then I'm into Paul. Then yeah. I'm into Ringo with his, you know, with his pop hits. And yeah. I, I mean, I love it. Don't come easy. I love that. That's one of my go-to Ringo songs. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm listening to Ringo, I always go to it. Don't come easy first. Yeah. That might be Klaus Vorman I'm based on that one, too. Yeah, could be. Yep. So for people out there, and we mentioned this one time, and I actually, this is a mistake I wanted to correct a while back, and I forgot. Klaus Vorman was one of their first friends when the Beatles went to Hamburg. So Klaus Vorman and his friend Astrid Kircher were influences on the Beatles style, the way they dressed. You know, they were leather teddy boys. Yeah, yeah, They put them in black turtlenecks like German existentialists. But Astrid Kircher was the girlfriend of Stu Sutcliffe, who was in the early Beatles with Paul McCartney, and he was John's best friend that died. He was an art, a great artist, but yeah. Um, so, Ed, Klaus Vor- Kla- is that Mark? Ashton Kushner, Astrid Kircher. She died. Okay. She died a couple years ago. Ashton okay. <laughs> no, no relation. No relation. Ashton, Ashton Kircher. Oh God. Well, Stu Sutcliffe was like Sid Vicious. He you know, he he looked cool with the bass, but he couldn't really play it. Couldn't play, and right. and that's funny because you know that, that's where McCartney gets part of his bad guy reputation because you know paul was a perfectionist and here it yeah. is you know, here, here's a guy in the band that wasn't really pulling his weight you know maybe he was jealous because yep. he was john's buddy but still as a musical decision just like pete best really had to go at least um Stu Sutcliffe knew it you know he's just like you know when, when he got to be replaced he's like yeah okay you know but yeah paul ended, up, yep. paul ended up taking up his his instrument um and to great effect you know uh, another well, they were still they were still teddy boys back then posing they were posers yeah. right yeah yeah well, yeah. Well, you know, they, they were. You know, she took a lot of those early photographs of them, and uh, so yeah, yeah. She, but that was she but, created that beetle haircut, right? She did. I think. I think. Yeah. I think. I think her and Klaus actually had that bold cut, and so then they adopted it. But you know, I don't hear Klaus Vorman saying that was my haircut. Yeah, but, but, I, but, but I never knew up until you sent me that video of him playing the beginning of that Carly Simon song. You're so vain. I didn't yeah, know he was yeah. that. I didn't know he was that accomplished a musician. But yeah, going yeah. going through it like okay, yeah, he was he was legit. I don't know, did he play back then? Why didn't he be, well, Why didn't he become the bass player in the Beatles? Well, out there on <clears throat> he's retiring now, so out there on YouTube, there's a uh, there's a there's a thing about Klaus Vorman visiting Ringo, visiting Paul, and visiting all these people that he, you know because he's winding his career down now. Yeah. He's eighty years old and uh, yeah, yeah. he's just winding it all down. So he visited Carly, and uh, you know, and they're like, oh, Klaus, you know, and mm. uh, and. Uh, he played that little, you know, that you're so vain <laughs> thing in the beginning. Yeah. I really and thought that was Lee Sklar. I thought she she was saying uh, that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, a lot of people, I think, a lot of people assumed it was Lee Sklar, the Mellow mm. Mafia. Yep. <laughs> because he probably played on a lot of her records as a lot of her songs as well. Yeah. But. Uh, but you know, so Klaus was visiting Carly, and they're like, "Oh, this is great!" And and he actually played that, and like she when she she said when they when they were recording it, and she heard it through the headphones, she thought he was just fooling around or whatever. And then <laughs> Richard Perry, uh, it was Richard Perry, the producer, I think, who said, "No, no, no, that's staying in, and we're keeping that, and that's going to be." Uh... I might be wrong about Richard Perry, but I think Richard Perry was the producer on it. Okay. 
who now, said, yeah, let's keep that as the intro. We, we've talked about drummers, guitar players, even keyboard players. We haven't talked about bass players too much. We mentioned McCartney oh. or some of We should do a little thing on... What That's Lee Sklar, by yeah. the way. That's a great a very, picture. He That's looks like picture. the abominable snowman here because he's <laughs> he's got a coffee table book of people giving him the middle finger. He loves that. So there's this whole like two hundred pictures of everybody in the music business just giving him the finger. How quirky! Yeah, yeah. He tells a great story in the uh, in the um, documentary about the Wrecking Crew about Tommy Tedesco, where they were doing like a for something from a movie or a television show or something and uh the music stand was there and all you can see is like he said it was like you know kilroy was here all you can see is tommy tedesco's head <laughs> like this and the, the the musical director says you know can you play a bazooki you know you know can you play a mandolin and he had the only had was one acoustic guitar so he just kept... <laughs> and Lee clark said after that he goes oh this guy is like taught me so much just from that right there yeah He's definitely a character. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and that's a, that's a group of musicians we could talk about every episode. I fell asleep with um, with the TV on, with YouTube on, and I woke up. For some reason, the Wrecking Crew documentary was on YouTube, which I have it on DVD, but I, I'm like, I'm subliminally listening to it, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I woke up and Hal Blaine is talking. I'm like, you know, he wrote on, he was he intimidated a lot of other drummers who, who did sessions. Yeah, man. Like whenever he'd do a session, at a, he'd write on the wall, you know, Hal Blaine was here, or the Wrecking Crew was here. Well, he came up with the term "the Wrecking Crew," but uh-huh. he was like, "Hal Blaine was here," so some drummer would come in and sit down and be like, "Shit, shit," you know? Yeah. Like, Did you have to do that? You know, it's kind of a it's it's a cocky thing, but it's kind of friendly, you know. I don't think he was a dick about anything. Yeah. Um, but he just talked about you know some of the songs that they played on, and some of those even and Hal Blaine played on even earlier rock and roll records in the fifties too. But he goes, "I was making millions of dollars." He goes, "I was playing great music." You know, they have there was no complaints. Yep. So yep. Until you get divorced, you know. But may now, I say of, that? Yeah. Um, no, you go ahead. I was I was going to well eventually you know, I have another person I'd like to talk about, but if you had yeah no you go let me just okay. do a little side note. There. Yeah yeah yeah. It's amazing thing about uh, when you said you know the Wrecking Crew and and, and uh, Stranger like. My my uh, my lady's mother has Alzheimer's, and you know we go to visit her in the home, and you know she's eighty five, eighty six years old. But if you play Frank Sinatra, she knows every single word. If the intro comes, and she already mm-hmm. knows the song yeah. just from the intro. So I was playing Strangers in the <clears throat> Night for her last week. Right away, she knew, you know, do 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 like. It's amazing yeah. Like, yeah. The, the the memory that people have. You know, they don't remember what they had for lunch, no. but yeah. they know all of these songs. Or, or sadly, we were it. Listen, Perry. My dad, uh, well, say, my dad had the same thing. Um, and I know it's the same thing with music. My father, it's funny it comes to Sinatra because, you know, my dad was, that was his idol, and I'm sure Donna's mm-hmm. mom was a nice Italian lady, you know, and that's yeah, just what yep. we do. But music, someone who I know, someone I know who works with people with Alzheimer's, they, that is one of the things that your mind doesn't like when you play music. When something actually, my friend Melody, who plays with us at the spiritual center, mm-hmm. she goes to some of these homes and she goes, You know, these people, you cannot hold a, a sustained conversation. And like I said, I did with my dad. He's like, What's your name? My name's yeah. Lou. That's my name. Yeah. And we do that right, for 10 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he'd, he'd see, he, when he'd see Karen, he'd go, K-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-
that's amazing mm-hmm. because your your mind, your your brain is just being yep. destroyed. But something about music, and I was talking actually this Sunday at the center before we played the service. My mm-hmm. friend Jin, who's also a drummer, but she does a lot of healing therapy with music. She mentions about the vibrational frequencies in our bodies. I mean, it's very esoteric, and you know, you may not believe it, you may not. Yeah. But the vibrational th- frequencies of music—it's like it's symology or something like that. Um, but there's—they actually take pictures of musical vibrations, but they're in our bodies. The mm-hmm. connection in our brains to it, like you know, how can you not remember? The woman you you were married to for fifty years, but you can recall the lyrics to some song from the forties. And what? Right. Yeah. It's a, yep. it's, so it's it's the healing power of music. You know. It's, Listen. It's, yep. It, it's strong. I mean, my grandmother, my Irish grandmother, she was born in Ireland, but she grew up in France until she was twelve, thirteen, and she moved back to Ireland. And she's she lived to be ninety nine, and she had dementia. I don't know if it was Alzheimer's, yeah. but it was definitely dementia. In her last five years, she started singing French songs. Now, here's my mm. Irish grandma singing yep. French songs. Yeah. And it's perfect. And there's nothing more beautiful than these old French songs. So she would be in a nursing home singing. She also sang one English song, The Halls of Montezuma, because she grew up during <laughs> World War II. Oh, yeah. But it's uh, it's just, it was amazing to hear that I had never heard her sing before, you know, when I before she had dementia. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she's just, flo- I didn't, grandma, you speak. French, you know, of course she did. She lives in France. Uh, it's just, yeah, music has a cosmic, and I'll say cosmic, but it's, I agree, Lou, I agree no, with no, you. Yeah, it's the vibrations. Good, yeah. It's the vibrations it's in your thing. body. Yeah. It's whatever that, yep. some people will call it the chakra and all that. But you're right. It's, it's you may not remember the person you're with, but you'll remember those yeah. melodies because that person right, yep. you're with doesn't vibrate your body unless. I won't yeah. get into that, but you know. So, <laughs> and also, yeah. you know, she she can't remember the name of her late husband. But if you start playing Frank Sinatra, they start moving their arms. Exactly. You know. Yeah. They start doing this, and they're like, yeah. you know, they they don't even realize they're exercising because of the music. Yeah. yeah. You know. At, at the spiritual center, they they do the bowls. You know, they're big bowls. They look like plastic frosted bowls, but they hit them and they they run the the things around it. Yeah. And they're vibrating, yeah. so it's and then it's pretty cool because you know. Yeah, you know, I, I just try not to think about. Yeah, I try to clear my head. That's my meditational. Thing yeah, before we, yeah, yeah. Before we yep. play, yep. Um, but after I said, you know, this is what they do, and it's kind of funny. Then they have these little bells, these Tibetan bells that they ring before the ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Our friend Sot Metter's got Sot has several little bowls that he he does. Um, he showed me pictures. They're really cool. I'd like one, but they're little tiny things. But you hit them, and you just, you know. So he's into the sound vibrational healing too. And, yeah, yep. You know, there's a music calms the savage beast. Mark, <laughs> it's it, like when you run your finger around the wine. Mark, can you run your finger around the wine glass and make that well, going sound? Yeah, I don't have. It's not wet. I'm sorry, Lou. You know, <laughs> it's empty. I'm sure you could run. Oh, okay, all right. I'm as dry as a freezer bag, man. <laughs> but music is the great equalizer. It is. It is. It's, 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 it's yeah, the yeah. great heal. It's the universal language. Yeah, I mean, think about absolutely. It. We your, all. Your grandmother was singing Edith Piaf songs in another language. I mean, what, yeah. Uh, and recalling so, that, yeah. Yeah. So, no. I mean, I, I, that wasn't downbeat. I mean, it was just a, you no, know, a mature, no. it was a mature little uh, side note, right? You know, no, it's incredibly yep, positive. I mean, you know? Yeah. I may we be all, one of those people in 20 years, you know, like, I don't it's, know. It's why the three of us have this podcast. Enjoy we love music. We, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love music yeah. in, a, in, yeah. a, in a spiritual way, you know? So, yeah. Yep. Oh, speaking when, of that. When, when, I, my, when my dog died, right? My beloved buddy. I, mean, I never knew I'd be so distraught. I mean, I, I, of an animal. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We love Buddy. 
I love uh, you yeah, all met Buddy. Yeah. You guys knew Buddy loved yeah. you. I cannot. Uh, I cannot talk about. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah, but one day I, I, I went. I went. And, I can't I mean, do it. I'm going to have to shut my camera off. Just don't, the, don't start uh, crying. I'm going. <laughs> but I, I went on my drums when I said I said I can't take this. I said I can't. I went. Yeah. And played my drums for now. I I did it so much and hard. I get I hurt tendons in my forearm. Right? Yeah. So I thought I snapped some cables in there. But I, Som- I went. Sometimes I like animals more than people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Buddy was my heterosexual canine life mate. You know, so, yeah. Well, that's that's the that's the good thing about like dogs and cats. They're asexual. You know what I mean? It doesn't oh, matter yeah, whether yeah. they're male or male or female. It's Lesser unconditional sheep. love yeah. for yeah. the yeah. animal. You know? Yeah. 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 Yep. Rock so dog. I saw I, I saw a tree. Wait, wait, can I, I say I, something? I, yeah. Buddy yeah. is actually on Sotmitter's traces, DD. Because I had him locked out of the studio. Really? I learned yeah. that don't lock your dog. So there's a part. It's on. I'm um, actually on the song traces. I think your buddy going yeah. with her. And I, happen to, I, and I happen to know that uh, <laughs> your cat's on, on one of our songs. And Bell on uh, and Sot says on the back of his uh, of his EP for Bella. And yeah. I know he had a dog, Bella, that he adored. That yeah. he was, I'm sure, he was just so broken up about it. And uh, I understand, like, I like people who like animals. I'm, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I don't understand people who do not like animals. I, yeah. That, no, yeah. no, what is that? Um, my, yeah. my employers are uh, Greyhound Rescuers. So at our uh, wine shop, the Mighty Metro Wines yeah. on 169 Charlotte Street, Asheville, North Carolina, voted best of WNC uh, six years in a row. Anyway, um, we've had the wolf dogs come in. Um, we, do, we do animal giveaways where they actually, there's some of the local uh, pets, give what they yeah. call them. Rescue centers will bring the dogs into the shop. You can actually adopt a dog out of our shop. Really, really cool. Wow. Our, our, webs- our, our monthly, uh, weekly Email, we always have the bottom. Send us pictures of your shop dog. So, um, that being said, one of our customers brought in an Italian Mastiff. Uh, it's a baby mm-hmm. hippopotamus, and it bit me on the hand. I actually have a scar where it bit me on the hand when I put the guy's case of wine into his car. This hippo head came out and nipped me on the hand. I'm like, look, look I'm, I'm, I'm not playing like that. Well, was a, there's a drummer in the 60s called Multi. He had a hook hand, but he was a drummer. I don't know how the hell he did that. Uh, <laughs> He's not one of those 60s one-hit wonder things. I forgot the name of the band, but we should look that up. That's a, that's a curiosity. But, yeah, uh, anyway, wait, we love animals. <clears throat> Sometimes they are better than Yeah. Yep, here's, here's, a, here's how great animals are. In the movie Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill the Killer, his little dog Precious loved him. Yeah. Precious. Don't yeah. you hurt my little dog. The, the dog <laughs> is unconditional well, love. When he, jumped in, when he jumped down the pit, right? Yeah. Well, well, he got, she got pulled down the pit by the girl. By the trap. Anyway. So. Yeah. And everybody was rooting for the dog over the girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, well anyway, I saw some tribute of Sting. There was a tribute to Sting. I don't know if it was like the Kennedy Center or whatever it was. I just happened to scan through it, and Jose Feliciano was mm. playing Every Breath You Take. Wow. And you know Jose So, you know, he's singing it, he's singing it, and then he starts wailing on his Spanish guitar. Sting is visibly moved in his in his seat he's hmm. sitting there with his wife i mean he was blown away by mm. it i mean you can see how visibly moved he was by jose feliciano interpreting every breath you take yeah. i think jose felon is a great interpreter i love his version of light my fire absolutely yeah, yeah. it's it's the yep. dun, 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 dun. light my fire light my yep. fire um yep. yeah also, he, yeah jose feliciano was great in fargo as well Remember Jose Feliciano also played bass on Light My Fire. 
Really? Okay. Wait, yeah, wait. Hold on. Hold on. on that as well. Yep. Hold on. What did Jose do in Fargo? I'm really losing uh, my mind a, here. There's there's a scene in it's some like wood paneled restaurant where the. <gasps> Oh um, yeah, Steve, Steve Buscemi yeah. and the, the Marlboro Man and the two hookers are having dinner. And he, <laughs> brain, he's, he's the he's the entertainment. Yeah, I don't know what he's playing. Brain, fa- he playing brain like? fart. Yeah. Okay. Oh, now, yeah. what is as far as and this is off the Sting thing, but um, Jose Feliciano, what he did a TV sitcom theme in the seventies. Yeah, Chico and the Man. Yep, Chico, don't be discouraged. <laughs> um, yep. yep. And also, he was mentioned. Uh, his name was used in an Odd Couple episode. Oscar used it. Um, against Murray, I guess when they were doing the um, the, the, the Pistacados, you know what he called him? What? Nose Nose Feliciano, because <laughs> Al Molinari, oh, who, who yeah. played, he, he had a rather large proboscis or whatever. Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when God was handing out noses, uh, he thought he said roses and said, "I'll take a dozen." <laughs> so, um, so now that, well, that Sting tribute. Did you see anyone else play on it, or Sting didn't play? No, it, I only saw I only saw that. I, like I said, I don't know if it was like Kennedy Center or something like that. But, uh, right. but he was blown away by this. Yeah. You know, I mean, can you imagine? You know, like you, you're you're Sting now. You know, people are interpreting your songs. Yeah. Like um, I, I've mentioned to you one time where. Uh, where there was a Kennedy Center, I, I I think it was a Kennedy Center honors, and they were honoring Bruce Springsteen, and Bruce is sitting there with his wife and his you know and the kids and uh, and people are and um, uh, somebody you know they're interpreting songs and somebody plays My Father's House, Ben Harper plays My Father's House, which from Nebraska I believe it was right, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I think so, I think it was My Father's House and uh, I got it. And and people not 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 Bruce but people are weeping in the audience weeping wow. because it was such a beautiful rendi- it's a beautiful song but a beautiful rendition of a beautiful song mm. and I'm not a Bruce fan I am I in fact you know that I have two records I have Nebraska and the Ghost of Tom Joad those are the only Bruce Spring Bruce Springsteen records I have do you I like do them? not like the I do not like the E Street Band there's too many guitar players. Too big of a band, too much. I don't like Max Weinberg as a drummer. I think he's ham-handed. But all right, sorry about well, that. But uh, my father's house is on Nebraska, and I am a Bruce Springsteen fan. I am a I am E Street fan, but I didn't become an E Street fan until my twenties. So there you go. Our first the late, argument. The early first... bloomer. There, yeah. there are there are three guitar players, but like, what are they playing? I mean, it's not you know. It's, I mean, <laughs> well, it's not like you it's... know. It's funny. I never hear Steve Anzan's guitar when I watch the DVDs. I got a ton of DVDs. I'm like, I can't. I'm listening to hear him, and I don't hear him. Yeah, I know but he's but playing. Even if, <laughs> even if he's not there, they have Nils Lofgren on guitar. They have Bruce uh, on guitar. They have Patty, Patty Scalfa on guitar. You know, like, you know, anybody who's there, just give him a guitar. You know? Yeah, and Nils is the virtuoso of that group. So yeah. They are a great bar band, and, I mean, I think Max is, a, I think Max is a good drummer. Now, Max has something. Um, you said ham-handed, but it's... He, I know he's, he's skilled. I know that, well, yeah. But the thing is... You've that, I mean, called him ham-handed. To me, you've said there, that there to been, me. There have been times, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, there, there's, I think, good met ham-handed. But what, um, what he does have, and it's about the book he wrote, and not all great drummers have this. It's called The Big Beat. It's yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. that two and the four that you can build your house on. Yeah. Um, you know, so, some, of the, some of the best drummers don't really have that, that... That yeah, feel, yeah, you know, but yeah. that it's all it's all personal taste and interpretation. You know? 
But you know, they're a very, yeah. it's a very seasoned. They're they're the world's most seasoned bar band, is really what they are. Yeah, you know. And and Bruce did the thing where I think he really, when Bruce did the first his first Amnesty International tour with Sting, Peter Gabriel, yeah. um, yeah. Yasu Denor, and stuff like that. And I, I remember when he did that tour, I said he's going to come back and fire the band because he's playing with these and international drummers. He met a gym with Omar Hakim or Manu Kache, his drummers, and he came back and probably <laughs> thought, you know, well, I'm Bruce Springsteen, you know, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yep, let yep. these guys go and stuff. So he, he did those two albums, uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town, which are good records. Oh, we knew, good, we knew that was like a, I yeah, like but, that song, Lucky Town. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we oh, knew that was a blip. Gary Malibu. Yeah, we knew it was a blip in time. Joe Piccaro played on one of those <laughs> albums, too. Uh, Je- Jeff Piccaro. Jeff Piccaro. Jeff, yeah. uh, okay. You guys, Tom's, guys, Tom's carry on. That was right on, guys. I'll, I'll think be right Mark, back. All right, Mark, I'll be right back. That, one of my nieces is calling me. Sure. Right okay. Back. All right. I think so, that was right before Jeff's death. He, I think yeah. that might have been All I know is tomorrow morning, Jeff, uh, Tom Spallone's going to rip me a new one. Every time I screw up with uh, Toto, I get I get destroyed. Okay. okay, Tom. All right, destroy me. Yeah, they were good albums. They were very good compositions, and he just mm-hmm. I understood why he went that way, because remember when he put out... um. The album after Born in the USA, uh, Tunnel of Love? Yeah, right? Uh, I think, yeah, 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 it was. He just wanted record. to get away from the typical sounds. He was, I mm-hmm. could see, you know, you get stuck and you, you just want to break out. And then he did the uh, those two albums. Everyone hated them. And I'm like, I love those albums. They were great. Yeah, the the, the, the true fans, you know, well, you can be a yeah. true fan in only like, the, you know, the, the Jersey period, whatever. But um, Tunnel of Love has got some standout tracks. Tunnel of Love, oh, I yeah. think that's Max on drums, actually. There's a drum yes. machine in there, too. But um, one step, um, my hometown. I think it's on it. No, my hometown. No, born USA. One step. But, um, uh, one, one step up, or one step. One step back. That, yeah, yeah. One step back. That's a great song. That is. That's a real great song. Well, that that yeah, album that, was like kind of a mishmash of home recordings, and you said drum machines. But he got some of the E Street guys on it. And he did yeah, the tour I, with the E Street band too. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Roy Bitten. That's like his kind of his. That's like his Paul Schaefer. So Roy Bitten was there. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. But, um, uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Human Touch was not reviewed as well as Lucky Town. Um, Human Touch, it's got that's Jeff Picaro on drums. Lucky Town's got Gary Malibu on drums, who's the drummer, mostly known for the Steve Miller band and yes. Eddie Murphy. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Money's recordings, like um, Baby Hold On to Me. That's that's Gary yeah. Malibu on drums, and he's also oh. a well-rounded musician. But yeah. Lucky Town, I think it was it was the least. But to put them out simultaneously. When I heard them, I said, "Well, I like I like um, Tunnel of Love." I think sometimes yeah. you got to step away, but even the stuff like the Ghost of Tom Joad, um, Love uh, Western Stars. I, I know some Bruce fans that are really big Bruce fans that don't like Western Stars. I'm like, I can't fathom oh, that. The Western Stars has, to me, it's got a Van Dyke Parks influence. I, I can't Mark, place Mark, it. The, the whole idea of his album, when he wanted to record something, he was thinking Gold Star Records, late 60s, yeah. Glenn Campbell, that era. He wanted to write those cinematic songs. It's a great God, album. God damn yeah. it. Yeah. He did it. I, I think it's one of the best things he's ever done. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, so, by the way, sorry, guys. One of my nieces was the Uncle Perry, Uncle Perry. They were yelling down the stairs. So. Okay. Oh, sorry is everything okay that. over there? Uh, we couldn't we could either screaming at them to leave you alone. Wanted, they wanted to see their Uncle Perry. That's all. Oh, <laughs> oh Uncle tell Perry. Me you can see him anytime. Yep. I'll, you know what? I'll forward them the video. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I'll exist. tell you what. That's how I this exist what, now. This is what Uncle Perry does on Sunday nights. You're, 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 you're ahead in a jar now, Perry. That's what you yes, are. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're broadcasters now, you know? You want to do another public service announcement? <laughs> <laughs> um, We've got responsibilities now, guys. And, and kids, if you don't, drink... Don't, don't, 
<laughs> don't don't do drink fentanyl wine. patches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if you drink don't do wine. Fentanyl, don't do cocaine. Drink wine. <laughs> Stay, Stay in school. And Stay in if school. You, if you do wine and you make your own wine, wash your feet before you make the wine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And keep your nose clean and don't fuck up. Keep your nose Can clean. I, uh, you remember, like, I used to like Hall and Oates. Like, I used to like a couple of Hall and Oates. But then, like, in the 80s when MTV, it was overkill, man. I couldn't sure. stand them. Yeah. You know, it was like, and it was like they didn't even write songs. It was only the hook. I can't go for that. Whoa, no can do. It was just. 80s, listen back to some of that 80s period. There's some nice songs in there. One on one. Sure. Yeah. One on one's a nice song. Uh, I mean, Daryl Hall's, he's a great singer. He's a great say it isn't. Say it isn't so. Well, that was you know who's underappreciated? You know who? John Oates. John, uh, that John guy's Oates. underappreciated, yeah. man. That guy yeah. had a lot more to do with it than you might yeah. think. Yeah. Well, it's funny, Perry. Yeah. Uh, Louie and I were driving in the car with my, my son, Louie. And um, yeah. when the songs come on, he goes, Paul and Oates, he goes, goes, what does Oates do? I said, well, he's the co-writer. He's guitar player. Mm -hmm. And then I, we, we heard, um, uh, um, uh, I think Sarah Smile. I think he sings the yeah, intro yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And nice voice, but he just wasn't Daryl Hall, you know. But yeah. uh, John, right, put yeah. out, he put out an album out last year or the year before, that kind of Americana thing. Um, but even some of those songs, even like, you know, You're Making My Dreams, that, that's great pop. I mean, at yeah. the time, yeah. I, I thought the same thing, Perry. I mean, my influence, like, what I was playing at the time was not that type of music. But, you know, you find yourself, you know, tapping along. Like a lot of disco. I did the same and thing. He's a disco, really good disco guitar sucks. player. But then you hear Tramp's <laughs> Disco Inferno and you're bum, 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 bum. You know, well, like, you're doing it against your will. But they Did even knew it was know? overkill. The, the reason they stopped, they they pulled back was because they said We're, we just overkilled it during the eighties. But yeah. goddamn, if it made it work, you know. Well, did, yeah, did yeah. you know something about Daryl Hall? Um, even in the seventies, no. he was he's a true artist because in the seventies he wanted to branch out. So he recorded his first album, Voices, in nineteen seventy seven or seventy eight, and Robert Fripp from King Crimson produced it and played on it. Wow. The I remember record, you telling me that, yeah. yeah. The mm. record label shelved it for like two years until uh, there was some kind of like outcry, release it, release it. But Daryl Hall also sang on Robert Fripp's first solo album. Mm -hmm. So he's, I always said, Daryl Hall has a side to him. He just, and, and Perry, we also talked about this. If you yeah. watch that, that show he had with all the different bands. Daryl's house. Yeah, he likes all kinds of music. And um, it's face. He's, rock, he's he, rocking out with Cheap Trick. Yeah, you know? if you're gonna pair, if you're gonna be friends with Robert Fripp, you are a serious musician. You're not, you know, you, you know. So but you uh, said they didn't want to release it to offend Hall and Oates fans or something. They right? were afraid that it would alienate like, them. Yeah, and you know it was stupid because Hall and Oates fans. If they did buy it and they didn't like it, so what? Hall and Oates were always going to be around. I, I mm -hmm. think that Daryl Hall was probably like. You know, you're getting this, let me out, let me out, let me do something different. So that was yeah, the only, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even Morris Gibb from the uh, the Bee Gees, you know, he's the uh, he's the invisible, he was the invisible singer in, in the Bee Gees. Most people, like, he never sang many leads, mm. but when you, if you took his voice out, you'd be like, what the hell's the, one third of the yeah. thing is missing, but he's I like yeah. Robin, I like Robin's voice better. Robin had a beautiful voice. Morris is my beautiful favorite voice. I, Who? Um, Mar Morris was my favorite Bee Gees. Really? Because um, he was a musician, he was the guy. He played almost every instrument. Uh, all those, especially in the earlier stuff, going up into the disco period, all the keyboards, the bass. He played guitar. He was the musician, the arranger. Uh, he was this, you know, he was the back. He was the back of the house guy, really. And but you know, he was the one. He didn't sing many leads. Um, if you ever care to listen, he um, in two thousand one, one of the last Bee Gees albums before he died way too young. Um, 
Uh, he had a song called uh, "Man in the." Um, I'm just the man in the middle. It's a great song. It almost sounds like a new wave. It could have been done by, mm. by the the church, or it could have been done by the fix. Or in something. excess. <laughs> but yeah, and it, well, maybe not. Maybe not in excess. But it was a little more moodier. It's very minor key. It's an E minor thing. Um, yeah. But it's it's a great song. It's it's a great vocal. But you know, he had a Robert. He did an album, a solo album thing in the the mid '60s, and it, they did not release it for the same reason that well, it, you know, it might affect the Bee Gees. But Robin quit the Bee Gees at one point, and he had a, really he had a solo. Yeah, the late sixties he did a he quit because him and Barry were clashing. Robin had an ego. Uh, he did an album called Robin's Reign, and Morris and Barry carried on for a bit without him. He rejoined. Then he started having those early seventies hits. Had he mend a broken heart? Uh, mm-hmm. Great songs, great great songs, great songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to see that picture too. By the way, they recorded uh, at four sixty one Ocean Boulevard. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. And they all they or, or, or was that Criterion. A- no, no, no. I mean, they while they were recording at Criterion, they stayed at 461 Ocean Boulevard where Clapton and Derek and the Dominoes okay. stayed. And they all took pictures, like on the back of the Clapton record. They all they, The Bee Gees took pictures like Clapton oh, at okay. that palm tree or whatever it was back right, there. Right, right, right. I'd like to see those pictures. Are they mainland Florida? Well, I like Barry Gibb the best because he had great hair. He really so, did. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and he's pop- alive. Yeah, really. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> so earlier, we were talking about, you mentioned the Wrecking Crew. And yes. last week I was doing some research for that week's podcast, and I found out there was an English, sort of English version of the Wrecking Crew. Really? Um, it was Jimmy Page, um, goddamn, the drummer Bobby Graham that I mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. But the, the name, I mentioned the name Vic Flick. Vic Flick and, you, and Perry, you said Vic Flick. You, you're like, you're like Lou. You, you you've heard much of the stuff he's playing. You'd be surprised at what he played. Yeah, on. I think he's still alive. But uh, Vic Flick, he is, is still English, alive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, English guitar player, but what he did is he's a guitar player on the James Bond theme. Yep. That was that was help. But um, that's Vic. That's Vic Flick. Vic, that's Vic Flick. Yep. Yep. So he's uh, he's a guitar player on the James Bond theme. Um, yep. He's also on the Help soundtrack. So he's the guitar player, and the, and the beginning of Help, even the single version, that's him doing the, the James Bondish guitar part uh, on um, the George and, Martin produced. The, yeah, the, well, he was the, he, the George Martin ex- score, right? Yes, yeah. on the sound yeah. on the soundtrack to the movie, but on the single yeah. Help, you know, the beginning, that's him playing the guitar in the beginning, a la mm-hmm. James Bond style. Uh, yeah. He was a member of the, of the George Martin Orchestra. Um, but also, but really? He on the, yeah, yeah. So wow. he was a guitar player on, the, on Jukebox Jury. Uh, the Dr. No soundtrack. Uh, he played with Nancy Sinatra, Dusty Springfield, Paul McCartney. Uh, he's played the 12-string guitar on Peter and Gordon's Lennon McCartney uh, cover of World Without Love. That was Vic Flick. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Please yeah. lock me away. Yep. Um, also, he played on there uh, with Herman, Herman's Hermits on Silhouettes. Um, it's not unusual by Tom Jones. That guitar. That's Vic Flick. That's Vic Flick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he's also um, the guitar player on, um, is it, wait, Petula Clark Downtown. That's Petula Clark. Great yeah. song. Yeah. So yeah. he was part Great. of the, I mean, I'd like to learn more about these other musicians because, you know, we yeah. I mean, yep. you know, the American version up until this, everything came out of the 60s was basically the Wrecking Crew. You're lucky. Um, but the English, England had their own version of that. And, you know, like Bobby Graham was that drummer that played on so many things. And, but yeah. Well, can I just cut in for one second? The reason, the re- like, uh, I, I watched this show one time about these. It's called Pawn Stars, where these guys have a pawn yeah. shop in in yeah. in Las Vegas. Vic Flick comes in, 
with a 1962 Stratocaster that he wants to sell. So, and they, you know, they said, you know, so the guy asked him, who are you? He says, well, I'm Vic Flick. I played on a lot of records in the 60s and, you know, in the 70s. And so they call in a guy from a from a music store, and he's like, "Oh, this is Vic Flick. This this guitar right here, this '62 Stratocaster, or whatever it was, is so famous. Has been on so many recordings. It's a Telecaster. And, it was no, a Telecaster. this was a Stratocaster. This was, was a really? Stratocaster. Okay. This this one he was trying to sell was a Stratocaster. Okay, but I'm sure you know, and I've seen him on the James Bond thing. He didn't play Stratocaster. He played a semi hollow." Uh, Whatever it was, but I, I have the name of that. Anyhow, I'll, I'll tell her when you're done. Yeah. But once they found out, like you know about Vic, like whoa, this guy's been on so so many recordings. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, apparently, on the, was, on, on the soundtrack, the the soundtrack there was a help with Ringo's theme. This boy. Yeah. On hmm. the soundtrack, he's apparently playing. I think it's like a '62 Telecaster. That's why I thought you maybe the yeah, guitar yeah. he was selling was a Telecaster. I think the guitar he played on the James Bond um, was a Clifford Essex Paragon Deluxe. Uh, he played the James Bond theme. It's on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a semi hollow Cleveland. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, you do know that the... So now, wait, can I throw something else before? Because um, it's a conjunction because this week, there's a, yeah. a death in the music industry, and the death was Monty Norman, who composed the James Bond theme. Just going to bring that, that up, yeah. Did you yeah. really, Mark? Yeah. I was reading yeah. that, right before we were doing our little sound check. I said, I, I, I had the news. I'm like, oh, that's wow. kind of coincidental. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, buddy. <laughs> I opened up my New York Times the other day, and I said, yeah, okay. oh, crap. Yeah. Well, this is what I love about it. This is just coincidental. We didn't plan that. This is just yeah. coincidental, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just a totally iconic theme, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you, what are oh, you all it's... doing? Great. Oh, and by the way, since this is such a good conversation. I was doing, I was doing the, this is the whirling finger of Zitgeist. <laughs> That's yeah. the zeitgeist. This yeah. is the whirling but, finger of synchronicity. So, by yeah. the way, I, I guess <laughs> somebody has to say, like, you know, all right, so we've done a few shows now, and, you know, we're on YouTube. So, I mean, if anyone likes them, you know, subscribe, hit like, thumbs up, whatever yeah. you do, you know, those kind leave of it, things. Leave some comments. And even and on what? Facebook, we have a Facebook page. Click yeah. like and follow. When, when, we, when you yeah. say we have a Facebook page, you're saying there is a Music Relish Podcast Facebook page that I you don't started? You weren't, you weren't yes. at that meeting, Perry. You didn't get the I will. No. What I do is, Perry, is I put up each episode. It's a link to YouTube. But if we talk about any songs, I may just post some of the songs we talked about. So if listeners find something interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, gee, I could click on that link and hear that song that Lou talked about or whatever. So well, you, yeah. you put up... Uh, BOC's she, uh, She's as Beautiful as a Foot. Yeah. That's Maybe Perry's theme song. Right. Yeah. And yeah. also anything that he we is. talk about here, we can... Wait, wait. This is what YouTubers do. They go, link in the description down below. Link in the description right. down below. Oh. Hashtag She's as Beautiful as a Foot. Or hashtag Foot. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to link up that... We're going to link up the Alan Parsons Project um, record. Oh, we got we, yeah. we to do this for Tom Swan. Steve Wilson? R.E.M., Michael Stipe, and I don't know who else, but, yeah. That's for you, Tom. Right, Mark, Alan uh, Mark, Bouchard. I, I, oh, Al, Albert, Albert Bouchard. Albert Bouchard, and I can't let him out. Um, on the BOC fan page I'm on, there was a Stephen Wilson mention about... Really? It was, un- it was unrelated to BOC, but some some guys said, you know, this is not about BOC, but he goes, you should listen to these Stephen Wilson remixes. And he mentioned 
a lot of the ones that, yeah. you, that you've been yep. talking about. Look, everything about the guy, his solo recordings, Porcupine Tree, and his remixes. By the way, guys, Iconic Day, three weeks after it was released, Porcupine Tree's new album came to my door direct from England. It took three weeks for those freaking record company to get me this, the release. <laughs> so I got it. And yesterday, I opened up probably the last time a new Porcupine Tree release. And mm, put it in, cool. and I was rocked. And I'm going to see him at Radio City in September. Can't wait. All right. Nice. Yep. Now, can we give a shout-out to our friends? Um, everyone out there, there's a great uh, music discussion podcast called Milk Crates and Turntables. Absolutely. With, Scott's with been good fr- to our, us. Our friend Scott McLean, he's been very good to us. Mark and I have been on twice. Scott McLean and Jack Calabrese. Jack Calabrese, And, and yeah. at times, Tom Spallone. Yes, our I, friend Tom Spallone has been yep. filling in for Jack. Of, of and, and I got to say, I felt bad for Tom last week. He looked like he was dying. He had his garage half open, hot. hot but I miss hell. Jack. Jack hasn't been on for over a month, mm-hmm. and I want to hear mm-hmm. Jack again. Well, yeah, he'll he'll make a return, but I've been a fan of that show since yes, show have. number one. It's, you it's got a great show. Into it, yeah. Perry. yeah. yeah. Scott's and a great guy. Scott McLean, yeah, Scott McLean's a and great I guy. And I will, I will, I will contact Scott one day. I'm not so elusive, guys. You know, but you guys represent no, you the show. You guys represent the show quite well too. Perry, you know, but Perry, I, Perry, yeah, we right. know you're up the Mekong River. You got a whole tribe yeah, yeah, living around yeah, yeah. you. Come on, man. Um, come on. I'm in the Nam. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be your Captain Willard. I'm going to come find you. <laughs> yeah, man. You don't know, man. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you deep, an assassin? <laughs> You're an errand boy <laughs> sent by grocery clerks <laughs> to collect a bill. <laughs> I don't see any method at all, sir. <laughs> but I will. I will contact Scott. He's a he's a great guy, and uh, I liked. I, yeah. I in fact, I heard the. Uh, you guys were on the show twice, I believe. Right? I yeah. heard the first one. I heard part of the second one. And uh, I will listen to the rest of the second one. But, uh, yeah, he's... Uh, you know what I like is that we, when we're on, Scott is a true music fan like us. Yeah. And yeah. we all seem to know different stuff. So Scott knows stuff that we don't know. We know stuff yeah. that he doesn't know. And it really just complements perfectly. And that's why anyone who listens to this show has to check out Milk Crates because yeah. they're going to hear totally different stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's, just, it's all yeah. good stuff. Yep. Yeah. He's yeah. also a great, he's a great host. Yes, yeah, he, really, he, yeah. he, he knows how to keep and, things going. You yeah, know, he's a funny he guy. Says, he's a funny guy too. And I heard him saying that you guys know your shit, but you know what? Scott and Jack know their shit too. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, they yeah. do. Yes, they do. Yeah, they and I, do. we've seen Scott. We've seen Scott eat a peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich on his Facebook <laughs> on the page. King of the Facebook. King of Facebook. KOFB, Check it yeah. out. Yep, yeah. that's the studios. KOFB Studios. And by the way, right. like, these guys like. I don't know anybody. I mean, like, I heard these guys talking. And like, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, I saw ZZ Top 12 times. Like, how many shows? I mean, these guys can document the shows yeah. they've been to. I mean, they can write a book. Yeah. yeah. And, they and can just, write a book on these yeah. things. I think Scott mentioned, I forget, Mark, I mean, you might remember the band, but he mentioned where he lives in, in Boca Hills. There was someone playing down the street from him. Some well-known thing. He goes, I went and checked it out. You know, he just went the true music fans, music well, that, of live, that's I mean, what, they're fans that's of what live got, music. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah. what got me into that show because I, now I don't go to as many shows. I wish I did, but they talked about when they were younger, they went to every show. That was me. I was at the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey, in Rutherford, New Jersey, 
every week when I was in high school and into mm -hmm. my 20s. Like, we would see, that's why I saw the Kinks like five times. I saw Jethro Tull like four yeah, times. For, for 25 bucks. Yeah. But yeah. the point is, it's like, there was a time in my life, like, I got to see the show. I got to, even if like they weren't my favorite band, it was live music. I got to reclaim that because, well, then again, getting to a show now, and Scott made, alluded to this. It's not just going to a show. You got to spend a hundred bucks on a freaking ticket. You got to spend fifty bucks. Like when I saw Dead and Company, I had to I had to pay fifty bucks a park. Buying a beer is twenty five bucks at least. <laughs> um, I got eight pieces of chicken nuggets. It was sixteen dollars. So you know, it, seeing a concert nowadays. That's why I've limited my concert going to like small theaters, like Tarrytown Musical or uh, the the Bergen Performing Arts Center in Englewood, smaller theaters because but you're not going to waste your money. Count Basie there, fucking well, and fabulous. You have to account, what in in did my it hometown cost you? in Red Bank, New Jersey. Yeah. So that's not my hometown to, I was born in. What did it cost you to drive to Shea Stadium the other oh, day? Oh, my God. So I, I go I go through the, the Triborough Bridge. Let's yes. just talk about that toll. Uh, the gas. You know, and all right, so the gas. I mean, you drive to a show. The, it tolls. That's fine. But it's like, it's the old adage when, like, I had someone that I worked with who used to give me free Yankee tickets. Oh, great. I got a free Yankee ticket. So I go down to Yankee Stadium. Parking was 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. Buying a hot dog was 10 bucks, you know? And it's like, it, it's not really free. Nothing's free, you know? But back in the day, we used to go see shows. You dropped 20 bucks. I almost spilled my wine. That was horrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, 20 bucks, you drop it, you buy a beer for five bucks tops, you know? And it was great, you know? So it's harder to see concerts now. Can yeah, I tell but, you a funny you know, Yankee Stadium story? Yes. So in New Jersey, I was assistant. Baseball game store, or a uh, Baseball show. game. No, it's a baseball yeah. game. Uh, when I worked in New Jersey, I was an assistant store manager for one of the Bottle King chains in Hillsdale, New Jersey, Mark's hometown. I went Brad to that Martin. store, Lou. Bottle King. I never, met, I never met you. I, don't, I, don't, I probably saw you a million times. I'm like, keep an eye yeah. on this guy. Keep I was a drunk he looked, guy. Was he, a... looked, he looks like a freaking thief. Keep an eye on this guy. I um, famously came in that store with my niece one day. We were both a little angry and a little buzzed. Yeah, you might have seen uh, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably okay. refused to serve you. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we used to get, um, the manager and I, my friend Ed, we used to get, uh, comped a lot of tickets to sport games, uh, basketball, mm -hmm. football, the whole thing. So one day we got tickets to Yankee Stadium. And when he got the tickets, the beer vendor, they were known for not being the most reputable of companies, you know. So the, the tickets had stubs, but the entrance stubs, they were stapled together. I said, this looks kind of dicey. Like, why? What happened to these tickets? It was for the proper day and all that. So we drove in the Yankee Stadium. We get there. And I'm like, Ed, I don't know. Anyway, so we get there, and the, the person behind the glass goes, oh, these tickets are no good. You know, I'm like, for the first time and only time in my life, I made a stink. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know. Anyway, so they're like, I'm oh, from okay. New Jersey. I'm from, hey, you don't fuck with me. And uh, so then they go, well, we just went over to the side there. So I said, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> then so after a while, this kind of matronly businesswoman comes down and she goes, uh, gentlemen, are you with the Bottle King chain? And we said, yes. Yeah. She goes, I'm Mr. Steinbrenner's personal assistant. Will you come with us? I'm like, I'm like where's George Costanza? I thought it was well, Yeah, I was going to say that. I said, we're, we're going to get thrown out of Yankee Stadium, you know. So she leads us up this hallway. We got the luxury box next to Steinbrenner's. Oh, wow. Really? So Ed, yeah, Ed drove, and there was liquor and beer and food. That, there wasn't hot dogs. There was chicken parmesan. Anyway, I don't remember the game. I don't know. <laughs> I think they played the Colorado Rockies. I can't tell you. But at one point, I'm, I, I had a few. So I'm like, I'm going to lean out and see if I can peer into Steinbrenner's box room. If you've ever been listening, you, know, you shouldn't do that kind of thing, especially when you're drunk, all right? <laughs> so I'm leaning over. I go around the corner. I'm looking. I thought I saw, it's like a lot of New York high society in there. Like, I thought I saw Dick Cavett in there. Probably. Um, but I, you he was might have. Dick Cavett yeah, might looked, have been in there. Perry, yeah. it, looked, it looked like him. I, I think it. I think it was. But there was some he kind was of in New York. So what year was this? 
Uh, I'm going to say this was 96, 97. Yeah, Colorado and, and, Rockies are a newer team, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I might have been then, but it was pretty cool. But at one point, I said, well, I the, when, we, when we went down, you know, on the ride home, he goes, Steinbrenner's personal assistant came down, you know, and basically, you know, we thought we were going to get thrown out. I, said, I can't believe we got this. They had our own bathroom. I mean, it's, you know, you've been That's... to sports events. Don't go to the bathroom. It's okay. just a nightmare. I'll just pee in my <laughs> pants, you know. One, t- or, one time when I... or, wait, or you can use your... Music relish podcast piss bottle <laughs> soon right, to be available. Week. Well, trucker hats and piss bottles. Know, one, <laughs> the, one this is the prototype, by the way. You know, <laughs> small man. <laughs> one time, uh, one and, time when I was, and a you got to go went, through this hole. All right, you gotta go. <laughs> I went to Yankee Stadium uh, on bat day, you know, and I got a Tommy Tresh bat. I'm like, who the fuck is Tommy Tresh, man? Wow. You know. <laughs> That's why he's giving a bunch of, of uh, angry, drunk fans baseball bats, you know? Yeah, it was you like He was like the third-string shortstop, and I got a bat with his name on it. Or something. All right. <laughs> My father saw Babe Ruth play. He went to the school trip to Yankee Stadium. He struck out three times. I'm like, oh, wow, you saw the, you saw Babe Ruth. He's supposed to have a home run, but nothing. He struck out three times. Yeah. Look, my my, my, my grandf- dad wasn't a sports fan. My oh. grandfather was at Yankee Stadium every weekend through the 40s and 50s, and, yeah, he saw wow. that, too. And, yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you ever like, look, you know, look up on YouTube and stuff for, like, you know, shows and, like, yeah, it's somebody holding their friggin' cell phone up and, like, yeah, here's you, too, you know, like. Come on, man. You know, you're a half a mile away. Sounds like all I hear is the people around you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not a YouTube video. You know, come on, yeah, man. You know, that's delete it. that shit, you know? My first wife's uncle took uh, his niece or one of to the Beatles at Shea Stadium. So he saw the Beatles play. He goes, there was no point being that audience. He did. It was girls screaming the whole yeah. bit, the whole Beatlemania yeah, thing. Yeah. And just the Beatles out there and Lennon. Doing the thing on the keyboard because it didn't matter, you know. And, yeah, uh, I think it, yeah. I, I heard Ozzy Osbourne say that he saw the Beatles and he goes, "It, it, it was I couldn't hear a fucking thing. <laughs> I, I I couldn't hear a thing with the fucking girls screaming, you know." It's pretty yeah. right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, we're at two hours, man. We're gonna have to cut oh, this off, don't you look, think? This Come is on, bad. man. We're like Bruce yeah. Springsteen. You know? We're gonna have to break this down so. into segments. No, we, we've been running an hour and a half to two hours. You know, I think that of, at some point, mouths. well, I think well, at some point tell- we got to do the marathon. We got to pick a day where we come on at like three o'clock in the afternoon and do a four-hour look. Dead and Company did four. Oh, you want to do a dead? Set. You want to do a dead set, right? Yeah, let's yeah. do a dead set. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Well, so, anyway, somebody give out the email address. And, wait, uh, but before we do, um, pretend, uh, an album you think about. I know. I was oh, Lou. Lou, Lou, uh, you have to give us an album to listen to. It's your turn. Okay. I was thinking Kinks Face to Face, but can we do that for another time? Sure. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're, I'm kinked out, man. You know? yeah, Lou, Lou, yeah. let, me, let me ask you this. Could you recommend, because I do know my Blue Easter Cult, but not in a way that you do, okay. take out uh, the album Don't Fear the Reaper. I know that album inside and out. Take out right. uh, the you album the Burning album. for You. I know the first album. Could you recommend an album that me and Perry could listen to? No, not Blue Oyster Cult. I just did a Blue Oyster Cult. Record. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right, no problem. But, I, but, but if we do, I would say the second record, Tyranny and Mutation. No, no, no. Lou, you've no, got no, a no, wide no, musical no, palette, man. I know. I'm just saying, but yeah. sometime in the future, uh, if, we if got this ever comes up again. Got to send. I'm overriding <laughs> that's okay. Perry. That's I'm overriding okay. Perry. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of agree. But you, <laughs> I agree listen, with Perry. On your own, listen to Tyranny and Mutation, the second record. But for next okay. week, 
the fantastic expedition of Dillard and Clark. Have you I've heard some record? of that. I will listen again. Yeah, okay. The whole, the whole record. Um, it's called Say It Slowly. Now, what is the, it? The Fantastic Expedition of Dillard and Clark. I see okay. Mark's that. I can see Mark's hey, I think Mark just passed out. Oh, there he is. <laughs> All right. The I'm, Fantastic I'm... Expedition of Dillard, of and, Dillard Clark. and Clark. Fantastic. For everyone out there in podcast land, it is one of the first... Country Rock Records by Gene Clark, who was one of the original birds. Uh, actually, he wrote a lot of their first original songs, not the Dylan covers, but a lot of their original first songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, as we mentioned, Perry, you mentioned last week, you know, on my, on my pop quiz, yeah, that gave you one of the answers to my album quiz. Yeah. Because, you know, yep. Gene Clark's one of my favorite songwriters. A very yep. prolific writer, a very amazing singer. Um, it's a great record great to me. Great voice, it's a, absolutely. A great yeah. voice. This is one of my top five favorite records. Um, okay. The, the Desert Island Disc without a CD player. And okay, was... well, you know what, guys? Um, Music Rails Podcast at gmail.com. Music right? Rails Podcast on Facebook. And click click the YouTube thing. What is it, Lou? What do you do? Click like, thumbs down, thumbs up, uh, whatever. No, no, you click thumbs up and leave a comment. Yeah. Uh, you, like, well, whatever, click thumbs whatever up wants. if you like it. Click thumbs down if you don't. <laughs> Failure is not an option. <laughs> Come on, there's real people out there, man. No, no. You know? If you don't like it, say, yeah, say, say what's on your mind. Do what you feel. You know, you can be there's, Caesar. There's, you could there's be no like, bad press. Like you can Mungo do thumbs Jerry, up or thumbs feel. down. That's right. Because even if it's thumbs down, we're still going to keep doing it. Yep. Yeah, we're ne- we're not stopping for anybody. You can't stop us. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there will also be a line of um, Music Rose podcast Pez heads. <laughs> oh, wait, and... we're going to get those three Pez dispensers? <laughs> now, that would be cool. <laughs> I'm not a, I'd like to see a Scott McLean Pez dispenser. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also, a, a Music Rose podcast pillowcases. So you can actually sleep with Mark, Lou, or Perry. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Go fuck yourself with a suitcase. (laughs) Oh, and and of course, I have to do this during the closing. I have to thank my technical producer, Corey Delinsky. Yeah, Corey. He's a good kid, that Corey. He's a good kid. He's a good egg. I haven't seen him in in quite a few years. I'm sorry everybody saw my undershirt when I got up every time tonight. That was hot stuff, man. <laughs> you had pl- I saw your plumber's crack. No. No. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, God. Can't edit, you what can't are we doing it? Are we doing the show? <laughs> no, no editing, pal. Sorry. No editing. <laughs> and this I don't know how to edit. This song is actually, <laughs> that's right. This song is Astral Skyline by the three of us. I wish I could have re-recorded the solos. Oh, my God. One of our passwords for some of this is all three of us. That's the actual password. Oh, really? (laughs) Good to put that out on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they won't know where. (laughs) Well, my ATM card. (laughs) We've been hacked. We've been cloned. That's the new thing. The new thing is cloning your Facebook page. (laughs) Damn, we're running longer than a fucking movie. (laughs) That's <laughs> two hours, man. Not a Scorsese movie. No, no. I, I'm going to have to get a recliner like Lou over there, man. <laughs> I need a colostomy bag. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> now, that's just rude. <laughs> I show my true colors. 
Somebody get rid of those guitar solos. They got to be re-recorded. <laughs> Why? I'm a, my own worst critic. We, we all Great are. song. We Great are. song. Great song. It's a good song. And I know, you know I was thinking when we, we recorded this, I was thinking Rush. I don't know why. It's not a Rush sounding song, but I, I thought Rush. Hey, me too. Good. Me too. Okay. Well. Dun, dun, dun. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you, everybody. <laughs>